You're not feeling like yourself anymore. You're not alone. Whether you're concerned about your weight, your energy level, a lack of sex drive, or hormone imbalance, solutions are waiting for you at NAVA Health. With a technology-driven approach, NAVA's medical experts craft custom plans that adapt as you progress, optimizing your health. Start feeling better now at navacenter.com forward slash POD. That's navacenter.com forward slash POD. Or call 855-680-6282. Results may vary. So you've reached the age of zero energy, zero sex drive, and zero weight loss, and you wake up every morning with aches and pains. You're not alone. There is help with Nava Health. Nava Health's technology-driven approach goes beyond symptoms to find the root cause. Nava medical experts will create a customized plan to help you feel your best at every age. Visit navacenter.com forward slash POD to learn more or call 855-680-6282 today. Don't put off feeling as good as you can. Call 855-680-6282. Results may vary. Infinite complacency. People went to and fro of the earth about their little affairs, serene in the assurance of their dominion over this small, thinning fragment of solar driftwood, which by chance or design, man has inherited out of the dark mystery of time and space. Welcome to another episode of Into the Fray. If you enjoy the show, please head to your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. You can say hello, share info, or inquire about being a guest by emailing me at shannon at intothefrayradio.com. Now, the weekly show, that's always free, of course, but you can get a boatload of bonus content by heading to Patreon or Apple Podcast Premium. Yes, Patreon includes video where Apple Premium cannot. A big hello to my newest patrons. Denise Albi-Diaz, Buck, Joe Miller, Chris Morning, Natasha Wood, Sid, Daniel Rivera, Carrie Grable, Robert Hones, Todd B., Colin Pilkington, Greg, and Andreas Frangos. Welcome to the dark side, guys. So to join the crowd and get ad-free versions of every show, exclusive audio and video interviews and live chats, private RSS feed, Discord room, private Facebook group, signed books, merch, and more, head to patreon.com slash into the fray. And without further ado, let's get to my chat with Mike. So on this edition of Into the Fray, I welcome Mike Cleeland on with me. He is an author, illustrator, and UFO researcher. And, you know, I don't know if he likes this moniker, but I think everybody probably calls him the owl guy. Mike, welcome on Into the Fray. Thank you so much. It's my honor to be here. And yes, I uh, I, I, I have, uh, like, I, the way I say it is I didn't pick owls. The owls picked me. So um, if I'm going to have a moniker, that's, that's I'm, I'm totally fine with that one. 
And if, if you guys do not know, and these are not the only books that he has out, and I do want to kind of cover a little bit of that later, Mike, your, your other hobbies and interests, but books that directly apply to our conversation today include Hidden Experience, The Messengers, Stories from the Messengers, and The Unseen, which is a recently released fictional work. And we were just talking, Mike, before we started officially here, that so far it has gotten fantastic reviews. Congratulations on that. And can we just talk a little bit about The Unseen before we move into what is likely to be a very interesting conversation about everything owls? Tell me about... The as much as you would like about your process with the unseen, what it, it what, what's it about? Why should people buy it? Sure. Um. So I, uh, so in my I'll sum it up a little bit quickly, just about where where I'm coming from here. Um. Around 2009, I got online and started a blog, and the blog, which is I think it's 2009, it's 14, 15, 14, yikes, almost 15 years ago now. So I uh, started this blog and. And it was initially just about synchronicities, and it very quickly morphed into stories about UFO contact and owls, because I was having a lot of owl experiences that were completely mystifying to me, and I started writing about them. And then people wrote in and say, oh, I have this owl thing, this really strange owl thing. And consequently, I would just simply ask people in this field, mostly that were involved with the UFO experience, the contact experience, let's say it that way, I would ask them, hey, have you ever had any odd experiences with owls? And 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 it wasn't 100%, but wow, it was enough that there's a very clear pattern. And people would say, I have the weirdest story about an owl, and no one has asked me about this. So I put on my blog, I put on my website, and when I did talks or podcasts or anything like that, in which I was hosting a podcast at the time, I made it very clear, I want to hear your owl stories. So that one question, I want to hear your owl stories, has has created such a flood of information for me, such a flood of powerful stories. So if you, if you anywhere in the world have an experience with a UFO and an owl together, I'm about two mouse clicks away. And you're going to find me. And you can do it right now. You can just Google Google UFOs, owls. My name is the first thing that comes up. It's about the next 25 things below that. And um, so people are sending me their stories. And I, it's turned into a pretty much a full-time job, just replying to the emails. And so in 2015, I wrote a book. And the source of that book was basically my own experiences, as well as my research, as well as the people who had reached out to me. So I was struggling to make sense of this mystery. Why are owls connected to the UFO experience? Which I feel certain they are. I can go into depth on some of my thoughts on that. I don't have a true answer. I, I can speculate and give you a bunch of outlying answers. But, but what happened was I wrote three books. And you stack those books one on top of each other. It's about a thousand pages, almost a thousand pages exactly. And people come up to me and say, hey, Mike, um, are you gonna write another book on owls? And I'm like, nope. <laughs> like, if I can't say it in a thousand pages, like, it's not going to do anyone any good to like, to add another big fat book. That's just going to say the same thing. People say, well, what about are you still getting stories? I'm like, oh, I get stories all the time. Like daily, I'm getting powerful, beautiful, mystical stories that involve owls. 
And, and they say, well, couldn't you just put that in a book? And I say, I could, but it'd be the same story over and over and over and over. So what happened was within those stories was a, was what I, this, I typed this, I've typed this 10,000 times. It feels like when I respond to people, people will send me a story and I say, well, you know, it's interesting. I haven't heard exactly that story, but I have heard many with the same flavor and mood. And that's, that's true. Like, they have a, they have a, like, I feel like I can tap into this ethereal vibe that these accounts have. They're very mystical. So I, I'm, I had an idea for a comic book, like a graphic novel. I was, I was a professional illustrator for most of my life. Uh, the writing has taken over in the last decade or so. And so I, doing the illustration, I figured, well, I could do a comic book. I could do a graphic novel. I would do it all myself. And, and I, I had an outline, a treatment, and I did a bunch of uh, preliminary sketches and just to find the look and the feel. And, and, and I talked to some friends that worked in the comic book industry, and I said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a graphic novel. I'm just going to do it all myself, and, and I got a script, and I'm, this, I'm, gonna just, I'm just going to go ahead and start. And they, they kind of gave me the stern talking to, and they said, don't, oh my, don't. Nobody takes on a, something like that alone. You need to work in a team. You have to have a, you know, someone's going to do the coloring. Someone's going to do the lettering. You, it, don't take this on all by yourself. And, I, and it was kind of heartbreaking, so I kind of pushed the, the project aside. Now, that was like 2011. This is about way before I had even considered ever writing a book. So at a certain point, the books were, I had three books out, and then I kind of found the treatment on my computer, and I reread it. I hadn't read it for, what is that, like eight years, seven years. And I was like, hey, this is good. There's something here. Like, I, I think I want to pursue this, and I've already written some books, so I'll try fiction. I'll try my hand at fiction. Oh, dear Lord, it was hard. <laughs> oh, dear, it was so difficult to change gears like that. And I, and it turned into a, if you look at the clock and the calendar, and the, it's like it turned into a pandemic problem, a project. So I was locked up. I, the whole world was a hermit. The, the whole world became hermits in, in the time. So I did too. And I, I just worked and worked and worked on this story and I got so like emotionally lost in the story. Like I really, there's some characters in the story that I just felt so connected with these totally fictional characters that I just resonated so strongly with. And there's a little town it takes place in. And I felt, felt like I could, felt like I knew every pebble on the sidewalk of that town. And in May of this year, I released the book. It's called The Unseen. It's kind of a mystery. It's it's funny, you know, what I did is it's, I, I put, um, it takes place in the West. It takes place mostly in the desert country of Southern Utah. And um, so there's like kind of a cowboy character on the cover. And 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 it looked like a cowboy story. It looked like it was like, you know, Louis L'Amour or something wrote it. So I, I up in the corner, I put like this little ribbon, which kind of harkens back to kind of the, you know, kind of, seedy pulp novels of a bygone era i put this little banner up in the upper left corner that says a paranormal thriller and and i tried as a as a thought experiment to write a book about ufos where i never mentioned the word ufo i wanted to write about a book about synchronicity where i never mentioned the word synchronicity i never mentioned the word alien i i tried to undertell it as as much as i could and uh, there's owls in it. There's certainly owls in it. And that, that, that comes from 
my research. And there's a little note in the, let me just open it up. I'll read this little thing. It's a little author note in the front, which basically was saying that, you know, this book is based on real events. Real is a funny word. Like I put real in quotes because some of these events that I receive are so dreamlike that I'm, that they almost feel like they're, they've, the events themselves feel like they cross into that other boundary. So here's the author's note that's in the front. It's only a couple sentences. This book is dedicated to everyone who has reached out to me with their stories. It would be impossible to truly express the depth of my gratitude. So much of what has been shared with me has made it into the pages of this book. No accounts have been presented exactly as told. They've been stretched and changed to fit the narrative, but their flavor and mood saturate this tale. This includes my own stories. As an author, I've worked hard to honor these intangible experiences. I don't know if you can hear the roosters in the background. I have chickens. We have chickens. No, I, and I'm glad that you mentioned it. I was going to do the same so that I don't get the emails going, there's um, EVPs of roosters <laughs> no, and chickens that's, that's, in the back. No, those are real roosters and chickens. Real, real, yeah. Those are real roosters. <laughs> they They're want kind of to have, yeah, it's so. okay. They just want to have some cameos. Good. Okay. There was a long way. Yes, a very simple question. I gave you a very long answer. No, no, that was fantastic. Just talking about all the people that got that because you did underplay and like you said, you went out of your way to not say these certain words. They still got it. They, they got it in a big way and it's, it's a big hit. So congratulations. Thanks. It was, it was a, wow. Was it like tough to put that out there? Wow. I mean, it felt like I was, hmm. you know, it's, it's interesting. So, um, the main character is very much based on me in some ways. There's a few lines in there that are that are me, 100% me. Like, oh, that's me talking. Um, and it's a first-person narrative through the eyes of the main character. And the and the opening point is, oh, they are allowed out there, aren't they? The, about the first quarter of the book, the character is, is lost in the desert. And it's kind of this mystical walkabout. Kind of a... You know, it's funny. I, I was worried that the part in the beginning where the character is walking in the desert would, would be... I almost want to say I was worried it would be boring. And I've had, that's the one question I ask everyone who's read the book. The part in the beginning, was that boring? And they all go, no, 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 no. And I asked this one woman, she was smart, and she said, when the, when the character was out in the desert, how did, did that work for you? And she said, that was a ritual as old as time. And I was like, oh, good, good. She got it. She got what I was trying to say. And then, so the first part is setting up the mystery. It's the internal dialogue of the main character. And then the rest of the book is a, is a detective novel. And it plays out like a detective novel. Lots of dialogue, you know, lots of uh, a, a key group of characters that are all trying to solve the mystery independent. And it's a little even unclear what the mystery is, but there's some, some event that has taken over the lives of a certain key people and also this little town. So it... Um, it was a, I just, it was so, it was, I, to write fiction, like the page is blank, right? To write nonfiction, you know, you say, oh, I got a premise that owls and UFOs are connected. I've got all these stories. I can talk to these people. I can, we can, I can record the phone call. I can transcribe the interview. It, it's, it's pretty straightforward. I can footnote things. Fiction was totally different. Like, like there was no rules. And that was... That type of, like, it was a creative project rather than a than a than a um, journalistic project. Wow, was it tough? 
So, so anyway, yeah, it's been doing pretty well, and I'm so happy and grateful that people are, are appreciating the story. I meant to look this up before we hopped on, but since I have you on, I have kind of a, I mean, I guess it's sort of a random question, but did you do the cover art or is that Red Pill Junkie? That's me. That's me. Yeah. So yeah, I I did it myself. I was a professional illustrator. You know, it's funny. I had, I had some ideas for the cover and this was almost the first sketch and I wanted, and I'm a pretty skilled illustrator. I, I, I wanted I tightened the illustration up really, really tight and put some real fine detail in it. Didn't work at all. Didn't work at all. It lost its kind of, I wanted, so the cover is, is a little bit like a comic book. And that, that's a nod to the genesis of the story it began as a, as a comic book story. And if I, when I overworked the cover, it like lost its, I want this to feel like you found it in the back of a dusty old used a bookstore like what is this funny book you know i did not want it to feel like a like a modern paranormal thriller you know there's a there's a certain look to those books the typeface and stuff like that yeah it's all hand lettered too the cover it's i did all that by hand so yeah i love the illustration on the front really grabs you well especially because i'm in the desert i love the desert i love the woods too but i mean this is where i grew up that's the the uh the the setting for my life so it's it's definitely very um striking and as you say even just that simple little bookmark banner at the top it does harken back to almost like a golden books or oh yeah something that also just kind of brings you back to childhood and something maybe comforting even though the content inside may not always be very comforting which here's a random question that also just popped into my head have you had anyone get in touch with you that read it just not really knowing you're the owl guy or not having read any of your nonfiction books. Did you have anyone read it yet? And I wonder if this is going to happen if it hasn't. That said, well, I just picked it up. It, you know, the, the description sounded cool. And then it struck a chord with them that it, it in that they maybe have had something enough to where they go, oh my gosh, like maybe this has happened to me. And then they dove into your nonfiction books to where this is maybe struck a chord with them enough to go, uh, this is this is me. Some of these things have happened to me in real life. You know, a little bit, but it's mostly the people people are people who have had the, those experiences tend to go right to the to the to the nonfiction work that I did. Like they've already so identified bit, it. Okay, yeah, yeah. But I, you know, so so. Um, it's interesting because people are reaching out to me a little bit through uh, Twitter and Instagram. It's it's rough. Like, wow, it's 2023. It's almost 2024. So, like, to for, for me to check my mail is like it's a it's a like people contact me through Facebook. People contact me through Instagram. People contact me through Twitter. People contact me through email. It's so it's like keeping up with that is has been tough. Mm-hmm. Of people, you know what people have said. This is what people said. Oh, you know what? My sister read it. My sister isn't interested in this stuff at all. My sister read it and she said, she said, I really loved it. I loved it. I love the stories. I would be out with, you know, she'd be out in the evening with her husband. And she's like, let's, I want to get home so I can find out what happens next. And in the story, the story is meant to be kind of a, and it's not, you know, how Dan Brown kind of has that. I, I want to be careful. It's not a Dan Brown type book, but it has that kind of rapid fire mm-hmm. action and, and it's really fast paced. In, in big chunks of it are very fast paced and lots of dialogue. So it reads pretty quick. 
it's a kind of a fat book, but it reads really quick. There's lots of dialogue and and short chapters and short sentences. And I did that completely on purpose as I wanted, you know, I kept on saying I wanted it when I was writing it, I wanted it to be candy. I didn't want to have, no one needs to work to read this book. It should just, and so my sister would say, like, I, 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 I loved this book. I don't know what it's about. And I get that the people, the, some of the reviews are like, I didn't under, I like, I love this book, but I didn't understand it. And then they would kind of go around, they would say, oh, the mystery that imbued the story. And they would like, it, it, it follows a story trajectory. It's not as, as ethereal as let's say, uh, Twin Peaks, right? Where that is, you're kind of lost when you watch that. It's just, it's just, it doesn't make sense. This hopefully makes sense as a story, but when people say they didn't understand it, there was, there's a. Instacart shoppers know groceries. They know that you can't make guacamole with rock hard avocados. They know how to quickly find those peanut butter pretzels you can never find. And they keep you in the know by giving you updates about your order along the way. Let Instacart shoppers help take shopping off your plate so you can get time and energy back for what really matters. Visit instacart.com or download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders. Offer valid for a limited time. Minimum order $10. Additional terms apply. Instacart. Add life to cart. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chabacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chabacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus that was what I was trying to do. I was trying to undertell the story because when I, so here's the thing. I talk to people who have had the UFO contact experience a lot, like every day. And, and I almost never, like so close to zero, it's essentially zero. Nobody tells me, oh, I was taken from my car on a lonely road and taken into a flying saucer. Or, oh, I was taken from my bedroom at night and floated through the wall. I hear that occasionally. I mean, it's part of the thing, but I hear it so rarely. What people tell me, what people who have had the real first-person experience tell me is that my life is plagued with these powerful, mystical synchronicities. I'm having, I'm experiencing coincidences that are beyond, like, simple like they are complex and they imply something. And there's this deeper meaning imbued into these synchronicities, into these, these events going on around me. I'm having prophetic dreams. I'm having like psychic experiences. I, I'm, so what they're saying is that, that they're like leading this, like this mystical this mystical set of experiences has invaded their life. And it's not metal flying saucers 
hovering above their neighborhood. I hear that, but very rarely. It's, it's glowing orbs floating down the hallway. It's something much more eerie. And at the same time, when I've... So I'm in, the, in a position now where I've read, read accounts through email, contacted people, corresponded with people by the many thousands. And I did not expect this going into the, into the research. What has emerged is people, people ask, are the owls good or bad? That's like saying, are the aliens good or bad? Right, so boy, you could cherry pick the data and and say they're bad, but you would have to ignore huge swaths of the data. And what is what's and let, let me also say, I am not looking at the big totality of the UFO like data pool. Right, so if I, I'm like, let's say I'm standing here, I'm doing it right now, my arms are stretched way out, and I'm like showing that there's this huge wide continuum, and it's got everything. It's got government conspiracies, it's got you know mystical events, it's got uh, you know scary events on a lonely road, and 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 that's the UFO lore, right? So it's it's all over the map. It's a messy data pool, but I'm not looking at the big totality, the big total picture. I'm I'm reaching in and just pulling on the thinnest little thread, the thinnest little thread, and that's the one that's connected to owls, right? So, so I'm looking at this little fractal that people, I didn't invent the owl thing, like people wrote about it, Whitley Strieber wrote about it, other researchers wrote about it, John Mack wrote about it, and, and it's in other books. I'm the one who like got obsessed and wrote three big fat books on it. And now four big fat books, if you if you include the fiction book. But so when you pull on that thread, the owls within the totality of the UFO data pool, what comes out? Good people say, are they good or bad? Like wow, like what I can say is that it's challenging, and a challenge doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, right? So you overcome a challenge, you've accomplished something. So I can say the owl UFO experience creates real challenges in people's lives. And then in the end, I'm going to say hopeful. Like there's something hopeful in these accounts where people are having spiritual awakenings. I, I, so I speak at conference some, sometimes, and I have this slide that says spiritual awakening. It's big, bold letters. takes up the whole frame, you know? So I click the button. It just fills the, the big screen. It says spiritual awakening. And I say, people who have these experiences often tell that they've had a spiritual awakening. And that's true. And I get kind of insecure because that's a bold thing to say. And I was at this one conference and I was like, I could just take that slide out. I could just, I could just, you know, the PowerPoint presentation. It's easy. Just highlight the slide. You just click, you click delete. And it's like, because that's like, I you know, like... It's a pattern, but is it a big pattern or a small pattern? And uh, as I was, like, it was like I was going to be presenting the next day. This guy comes up to me and says, "Hey, Mike. Um, hey, I just want to say, like, I'm really looking forward to your talk. I had an owl experience, and and it involved this UFO. And hey, I had a spiritual awakening. This happened like as I was considering pushing that little delete button, and I was like, oh, so this is this is it. This is like this." The, like I've I've come now to trust the power of these synchronicities, and and I'll, and I've and for better or worse I'm following those synchronicities, and 
like a nuts and bolts researcher could say, oh, you, you might be led down some blind alleys. And that's true, I might be. But at the same time, I feel like I need to honor the power of these mystical events. And I feel like a synchronicity is just as powerful a mystical event as, as seeing a UFO hovering in your backyard. They are both, by the consensus level of reality, considered kind of forbidden, right? So synchronicity is a powerful coincidence. We're not supposed to trust that, or we're not supposed to believe in it. But, but, but they show up in the in the lives of people so often that I, I have to trust that, and and so I try not to wait. One more than the other, so a synchronicity to me is just as powerful as a UFO sighting is just as powerful as a as a as an owl sighting. So I try to I try to keep all those on a level playing field and not wait one more than the other. Here I did it again. You asked a very simple question. I went all over the map answering. I do it all day, so don't you worry, Mike. No, uh, you know I think that you have done a great service to the phenomena as a whole, in that you have stayed so focused just on on what you just mentioned, right? Because as you say, there are so many different rabbit holes that you can go down and and really get bogged down and not that we have any answers for any of it at all but you being so focused that is why people are inundating you on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and oh I meant to also kind of open with this it, it came directly from your website and I encourage everyone to go there it's a good one-stop shop mikecleelan.com and I pulled this Right from, I think, the homepage, and it is, it's just a wonderful snapshot of, of what we are talking about. And as you say, from the website, MikeLeland.com, owls seem to play a shadowy role in the UFO contact experience. They also show up in relation to highly charged events like synchronicities, ancient archetypes, dreams, shamanic initiation, magic, psychedelic hallucination, spiritual transformation, and death. And I mean, there's just no better way as a hovering overview of what we are going to speak about than that pulled from your website, because it just in each one of those things, you can you can talk about, oh, there's shadow people or as you say, craft or little alien beings or going through walls or as you, you mentioned, uh, hallucinations, you know, there's all of these different tendrils in each one of those aspects. But Owls can show up in all of that. Yes. So, so I used to say owls are connected to UFOs. I know they are connected because I'm getting so many reports. I'm, I'm backing away from that statement a little bit. What I can say now is owls are connected to the highly charged human experience. And that's a term I've kind of made up, but it, but you get what I'm saying. And then I've listed five things where this is the pattern I'm finding in my stuff. So owls and UFOs, tons of accounts. Owls and um, meditation. People meditating will see owls. Someone sits, often with an intention, right? They'll say like, oh, I, like, I want to find my spirit name or I, like, I want to help the world. And they will oftentimes either sit outside or they'll face a window as they're meditating. And when they open their eyes, there'll be an owl staring at them, like right up close. I've talked to people who have had owls like two feet away from their face while they meditate in the forest when they open their eyes. That's common. So, uh, and then owls and shamanic initiation. It's, there's like a community of shamans. It's not something lost. There are people out there still following a shamanic tradition and, and, and 
it's well understood in the community of shamans that owls show up at the at around the time of initiation. John Mack wrote about this in his book, Passport to the Cosmos, where he compares and contrasts the shamanic rites to the UFO contact experience. And then, uh, oh, psychedelics, most often mushrooms. So uh, I, it's funny, I've got some other accounts with other, but people who take uh, mushrooms or psychedelics, not so much ayahuasca, I'm really like I haven't really found any things in 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 but mostly mushrooms. People who take psychedelic mushrooms will uh, do it in a ritual setting, and they will have owls either show up real, real owls, or they'll have visionary experiences of like hallucinations or whatever you know, psychedelic apparitions of of owls as an as an archetype, let's say. And then the fourth one would be um, let's say one, two, three, four, five. Five is death. So owls and death. Wow, if I wanted to write a book, that would be the book, Owls and Death, where the lore in our folklore, it's people will say, oh, owls show up before death. This is, this isn't right, and this is in Shakespeare, in, um, in Macbeth, and in Julius Caesar. There's, uh, there are events where a main character, before a main character dies, there'll be an owl hooting. And then there's just, when you do it on stage, there's just someone off stage, like making the owl hooting noise. You know, doth, does the night bird speak in Macbeth? And um, I think I've got that right. But that's not what I'm finding. I'm finding that people are, are having owls show up after a person dies, most often a loved one, most often a parent. So here's a story. This is, you know, the problem is I've got thousands of stories. Some of them are a little complicated and take a long time to tell. Guy, his father dies at the hospital, massive heart attack. And it's late at night, all kinds of issues at the hospital, late, late, late at night. He's leaving the hospital early, early, early in the dark morning. The mechanical doors open up. He's on the sidewalk. There's a there's a there's an owl standing in the grass next to the sidewalk. So he stops and he looks down at the owl and the owl doesn't fly away and he says, Dad, I love you. I'm gonna miss you. You are a great father. I feel so honored that I could be that I could have been your son. I have that story over and over and over. I'm convinced that there is like, I'm convinced that our ancestors lost a loved one, stepped out of the cave, and spoke to an owl as if it was their parent. It is so common. I, I have a story where there was a, 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 a journalist got a hold of me. She said, I, I, something happened at this event, and I can't put it in the newspaper, but I'm going to tell you. And she said that there was a community event, there was a, there was a memorial in the city park, like the central city park of this town. And it, all kinds of people were there. It was, a, it was a, uh, like a civic character in the town, had a high profile in the town, and he died. And big crowded scene at the, at the town square. And there was a lamppost at night. And an owl sat on top of the lamppost. And people lined up. No one had to tell them. They lined up, wondered, they, li they sat, they stood in the line, and the first person in line would look up at the lamppost and say, I'm making this up, Bob, 
wow, you were great. What a great friend. I'm so glad we got to know each other. Just I like I'm, I got such wonderful memories, Bob. You know, I really love you. And then he would step up and the next person would come and look at the owl and say, Bob, thanks for showing up. It's great to see you. We love you. We're going to miss you here in town. And, and that happened organically. No one had to explain it to anyone. And I think this is embedded into the human substructure somehow, this knowing about owls and death. So, so let me back up. Owls are not connected to UFOs. Owls, in my opinion, are connected to the highly charged human experience. And that those five UFOs, which is certainly a highly charged event, meditation, shamanic initiation, psychedelics, and death, those five things. You know, curiously, and I've talked to near-death experiencer researchers, people who experience, or people who research near-death experience, and I ask them, and I ask people, I've, I've, because of this, I end up reaching out to a lot of people who do near-death experience research. Do you find owls? Are owls showing up? It's not, which is funny to me. It feels like it's got the right thing. It feels like there should be owls. People who have a near-death experience, you know, they die on the operating table, they go into the light. I would assume that after, when they come back, they would have owl experiences, or right before the event, they would have owl experiences. Uh, that's not what I'm finding, which is funny, which is very odd. And 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 I, and um, what I, there are people who have had both UFO experiences and near-death experiences, and let me tell you, those people have owl experiences. So so it's a so we're dealing with a genuine mystery, and I and I wish I had good answers to these things, but I don't. All I have is powerful stories. And and so I'm not, I don't want someone to try to dig into these experiences expecting some sort of conclusion or answer. I can dance around that, but it's pretty murky. Like I, if I said anything concretely, you should ignore that part because I, I really don't know the source. I don't know the meaning. But I do know that the stories, for me, have a certain power. Hey, just, can I tell one of the stories real quick? Oh, please do. So, so this is one, like, as I said, the, like, some of them are complex, and they take a long time to tell. But some of them, uh, uh, this one does not have a UFO in it, but it has everything to do with the power of the owl. Okay? So a young boy, he's living on an Indian reservation, or a native, an Indian reservation in Michigan, and it's the Huron Reservation. And I grew up in Michigan, and it's there's I, I didn't know there was a... So I looked it up. It doesn't look like much. It looks like a neighborhood, essentially. And it's right there on the map. And so he, and he, as a boy, had a kite that he loved. And he would fly this kite, and it was... And he was, so he's flying it in a big field, and something that had never happened before, a big gust of wind comes and, and pulls the kite out of his hand and pulls the ball of string out of his hand. So the kite flies away and the string flies away and he watches it fly high into the sky and it goes into the forest near near the field. So he gets a friend. He gets his friend. He's like, he's 12 years old. He said, let's find this kite. I want to find this. I got to find this kite. I, so they go into the woods and they walk around. They walk around. They see the kite in a tree. So they walk to the tree. At the base of the tree is an owl all wrapped in the string. And it's and and the owl is trapped, wrapped up in the string. And he they get an adult to come with some scissors and they cut the owl free. And the owl's actually been wounded, so they nurse the owl back to health and they release it later, some weeks later. And so I asked a question, and by me asking this question, you will 
you will understand the type of stories I've been receiving. So he told me the story, and I said, are you a shaman? And he said, oh man, in a word, yes. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family cannolis and spins mean everything now you want to get mixed up in the family business introducing the godfather at chumpacasino.com test your luck in the shadowy world of the godfather slot someday i will call upon you to do a service for me play the godfather now at chumpacasino.com welcome to the family vgw group no purchase necessary void where prohibited by law see terms and conditions 18 plus there's no Owl. There's no UFOs in that story, but it is it is such a beautiful, perfect owl story. And what I can also say, it, how to say this, if I had that as a dream, if I dreamed that story, the kite flies away. I follow the kite into the forest. I find an owl tangled up in the string. I heal the owl and I release it and I become a shaman. If that was a dream, like a Jungian analyst could, could look into that in the symbols, the forest, the owl, healing. But it's not a dream. It happened. So there's this dream language. There's this dream logic that imbues the stories that I am receiving on a daily basis. And, and it's the power of that, that mystical power of those stories that that keeps me going. I would have dropped this long ago if it did not continue to be so captivating and so, I want to say spiritually reassuring. That's a strong statement, but that's how it feels. There. So. Have you found then in all of these years and all of these encounters that come into you, have you found a commonality between those of you who have experiences with owls? I found some patterns, sure, yeah. Spiritual awakening would be one. Um, I would say healing, people working as healers is another. Here's something. So when I do the work, right, so I talk to people on the phone all the time, and I, you know, and people reach out to me and through email and I correspond heavily. But like, let's say I talk to someone on the phone, like, hey, let's talk this week. And so I, I have a clipboard when I talk to them. I don't take many notes. I take the date. I have some key events that I usually I can fit it all on one piece of paper. Just just so if they ever call back and or when we talk again, or I can just refer back to these notes. 
And then when I do that, I write in the corner. Before the conversation, before I even dial the phone, I write Reiki in the corner. I just wait. I just wait. And at some point, they'll say, oh, you know, I'm a Reiki therapist. Or, oh, you know, I teach Reiki. Or I just got my level three Reiki certification. And if it's not Reiki, they're doing some other healing modality, like sound healing or, or some sort of energy healing. I, so I don't have, I would love to have a team of statisticians like go through my files. I'm just one person. So this is just an anecdotal kind of estimation on my part. But I would argue, and I don't think I'm wrong, that over 50% of the people who have UFO and owl experiences are Reiki practitioners or Reiki healers. Now, I'm, I'm not sure if your audience knows what Reiki is, but it's, a, it's an ancient form of Japanese energy healing. It's hands-off, so, the, so the, 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 the clinician isn't touching the person. It's done completely through the, their, in, their internal intention. And uh, so Reiki healers can have just as much success doing a Reiki session over the phone as they can if, they, if their hands were one inch above the body, above the person's body on a meditation table. So I'm arguing 50% of the people who have UFO and owl experiences are Reiki practitioners. That's a, that's, that's a weird one for me. Now, you had your own personal experiences, of course, with owls, which began... Uh, with an encounter in the Rockies. That's essentially your superhero origin story, right? So what about you, Mike? Why do you think, and you probably won't know, <laughs> but why do you think that that you have had these experiences? Then you say 50% of them are, are like, they end up healers. What does that mean for you? Well, on some level, I can bring solace to some people. People have, or, you know, you must have met people in this field who are like, in the early stages where they're trying to make sense of lifetime ex of a lifetime experiences it's pretty it's it's upsetting to your your idea of what reality is like people are struggling it's traumatic to have to come to terms with these experiences in your life so i went through that i was right at the point in 2006 i had an experience i, I think i've told the story many many times i'm happy to tell it but um i went camping in the mountains with a woman named Kristen. I just talked to her last night. We were still close friends. Um, 2006, so it's at 18 years ago now. Um, she and I, essentially it was a first date. It's kind of strange, which in the culture where I was living, that kind of Rocky Mountain outdoor culture, that wasn't that odd, but I've told it to people in other situations. And they're like, really? You went camping on a first date? And so we went to the mountains and, <laughs> and as the sun was setting, three owls flew above us. And I can to tell this properly, wow, is it mystical? Like she was talking about God right at the moment, the first, like she was giving her deepest definition of what God meant to her right when the first owls showed up. Now, I'm not at all churchy, but I recognize like the, let's say, the mythological power of that moment, you know, that, that was punctuated by these three owls. And then a couple days later, or four days later, we went camping again, the same exact thing happened, except this time three owls flew so close to us they landed at our feet and both times i had a voice in my head i didn't say this at the time but both i'm saying it now but both times i had a voice in my head that said this has something to do with the ufos i'm looking at a real owl i'm convinced they're real owls i've had some 
UFO researchers like looked me straight in the eye and say those weren't real owls those were screen memories and I was like eh, I was I was there like I feel pretty strongly these were real owls and they were like 10 inches tall like they was these were not you know gray aliens masquerading as owls so uh the voice in my head said this has something to do with the UFO so I had a message an internal message so afterwards I had a, I had like things in my youth missing time close-up UFO sightings I even had an event where I saw five gray beings in my backyard or actually it was the front yard excuse me as um as an adult I was 30 years old when that happened and I managed to deny all of that like I knew the implications but I wasn't going there I was just oh, isn't that odd? Isn't what a funny story I have to tell? I could tell the stories of the, all these events around a campfire, around a dinner table, and I would just kind of summon up like, hmm, what does it mean? Who could? What could it mean? And now I'm, I'm like I, I'm, I've gone there, and it was not. It was not the power of seeing five beings out my window, in the yard. It was that forced me to look into this. It was the owls that basically said this has something to do with the UFOs. So that set me off on my, on my quest, on my journey, and it, and I was there was a couple there was a few years in there where like wow was I off balance because what happened after that event, my life was flooded with synchronicities like like madness amounts of synchronicities, and they all in some way or another seem to be connected to either UFOs or owls. And during those years, I was on, I had a blog, an online blog, and I was blogging real time about these experiences. That, those blog posts I put into a book called Hidden Experience, which was the name of the blog. I still have the blog. I don't really do much with it lately these days. I'm mostly putting this stuff into books, but I do use this, I do chronicle things on the blog still. But at, for a time, that was a really powerful outlet for me. So I was blogging real time about my experiences. And and lots more happened. So your question was, like, what's like, why am I the owl guy? Right? Like, why, why me? Which is the question I've struggled with. I did a hypnosis session in 2018, the fall of 2018 in California with Yvonne Smith, who I'm sure you know. And and in that session, lots of stuff came up, lots of stuff, like basically onboard craft type stuff that sounds exactly like the things we've heard before. And I'm very cautious to believe those accounts, or my own account, I'm very cautious to believe it. Wow, it's a powerful story. Wow, I have some visuals of the inside of a craft, but like, I don't know, it's kind of dreamlike, it's kind of absurd, I don't know. So I don't trust it as a, let me how to say this, I'm very cautious to trust it as something that really happened, because I'll never know. But I, but there's a power to the story. Now, what happened when beforehand, here, this is, so, so I, I reached out to Yvonne in the summer of 2018, and I say, hey, I'm going to be in the, in the, in California in the early fall. I would, I would love to do a, a hypnosis session with you. And she said, Mike, what a pleasant surprise. I started your book, The Messengers, just this morning. Mm. <laughs> so like, 
this is my this is people like people who know me like this is pretty normal these kinds of things for me at this point i i i i i used to be really thrown off balance by these kinds of synchronicities now i'm i've just learned to go with the flow a little bit and um so before we went into the session we decided to pick one night, which sure sounds like a UFO contact event. I'm happy to talk about it, but I'll just, I'm going to jump to the conclusion in a way. But before I went under hypnosis, I, I asked her, hey, while I'm under, while I'm in this vulnerable place, this where you can access my subconscious, I don't know what that really means, but I, can you ask me what's up with the owls? And she says, of course. So we go through this whole thing and I'm like crying and I'm like swearing and I'm yelling. It's super emotional. And then at the end, it all kind of winds down and it seems to be kind of ending. And she says, and Mike, what is your connection to owls? And I speak so clearly. You know, have you, you've heard uh, uh, recorded hypnosis sessions. Yeah. People speak in this kind of herky-jerky way and they whisper. And there's long pauses. So so I was, that's what I was doing. And then she asks, Mike, what is your connection to owls? And I speak totally clearly, and I can do this right off the cuff. And I say, the owls aren't important. Right? That surprised me, right? The owls were the most important things. 2018, I'd written two books. I was like, owls, owls, owls all day. I'm answering letters. I'm full-time owl research. Owl, that's all I cared about. Owls were the most important thing. But that's not what I said. I said, the owls aren't important. I am an artist, and I know how people take in a symbol. The owl is a symbol on a door. The owl is the correct symbol for the door. But the owl is not important. We are on this side of the door in this tight, claustrophobic hallway. And on the other side of the door is an infinite vastness and after i said that i said was i channeling like when i woke up when i came out of it and we sat up and i'm we're like like the lights are back on and i'm talking like did i channel and she had a good answer she said how would i know which is true but it, <laughs> wow when you listen to it on the tape i like it's i speak in a different cadence completely in that small section and so that that like i really had to wrestle with that almost like a poem that emerged. The owls aren't important. The owls are a symbol. And so that really allowed me to take a step back. And I've been much more comfortable in the research in, in a way that I wasn't before. So I'm at much more at peace with this. The event that we were looking into on the that was that was the hypnosis session. The the we were looking to one event which had no fear associated with it. And this was me sleeping on the side of the road in southern Utah. Southern Utah is where the novel takes place. And I was on a long drive. I was coming back from a UFO conference. It was the night of March 10th, 2013. I had this powerful experience. Wow, it, it, to tell it correctly takes about 45 minutes. But that, like I had... I, I saw a craft that night. What I felt was a craft. It was not flying. It was landed. I had a, a coyote howling near my head, which is this kind of mystical trickster uh, animal from the Southwest. So there's like this Native American kind of archetypal animal quality, which is the stuff I love, which is 
folded right into the story. And there was a bright, bright light near where I was lying outside. We looked into this. In the, in the hypnosis session, it feels like I was on board that craft. And it feels like the beings told me in no uncertain terms, now is the time you volunteered for this and it's and and you are going to play a role. And that, I had no memory of that. That took place in 2013. The hypnosis session was in 2018. I'm like skeptical that that really happened. I looked at my notes. I looked at my calendar, March 10th, 2018. Afterwards, I did all kinds of writing. I wrote all about that night out and how it implied that there might have been a UFO contact experience. That was March 11th when I wrote all this stuff down. Diary, blog post, drew pictures, put points on a map. And then on the next day, it is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With lucky landslots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to. Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. March 12th, 2013, I started writing The Messengers. So I started writing the book that would define my life, The Messengers, with the big owl on the cover. I started writing that book less than 48 hours after this powerful, seemingly onboard craft event. I say seemingly because I don't know. I got It emerged under hypnosis. That doesn't make it true. But I started writing the book, The Messengers, less than 48 hours after that night in the sand. So you ask the question, like, well, why am I the owl guy? Like, like it's a like in the story that emerges, like I was told, you're gonna play a role. And you came here to do this and you volunteered for this. Like that's like just because that emerged in hypnosis doesn't make it true, but wow, did that surprise me when I put all that stuff together. When I played detective. And in, in in I was the detective, and the mystery was myself. That's what I was trying to solve, or have been trying to solve. And that's been the struggle with these big fat books. It's it's not it's not it's not an obscure mystery out there somewhere. It's my own deeply personal mystery. I mean, you are a very outdoorsy person. And as I said, I do want to talk a little bit more about the other side of that before we get off the horn here, but. You and Kristen being in the woods in 2006, I would imagine that wasn't your first time in the woods or camping or hiking or whatever outdoors. Why that night? Why why did it happen then and not before or not after? Do, have you thought about, was there some sort of a, 
a perfect combination of her being there with you or what she was talking about? Why then? So Kristen and I spoke last night. And, and we, like, in the book, I say it very clearly. She calls me a kindred spirit. Like, we had a hard time. Like, we were so similar. Like, it was tough. <laughs> like, we were never boyfriend. We're like, there was no, like, so, like, we were, we were good friends. But, like, wow, we we're so similar in some ways that it was, like, a little bit like, like, uh, you know, it's like we'd finish each other's sentences kind of thing. So, just, like, if this was a script, right? If this was a, if this was a, if this was a story and not a real event, let's treat it like a dream, or let's treat it like we're, we're we read a novel where this is the novel. Uh, Kristen is has Christ right in the first four letters or five letters, right? That she's talking about God when the owls appear. So, as I said before, I'm not at all churchy, but wow, do I recognize the mythic power of that in a storytelling kind of way. I, I don't want to give her last name, but it's a bird. <laughs> so she's got a bird name. So it's her, her name is like, you know, when you simplify it, it's like Christ Bird. Uh, and, uh, and I will also say at that point in my life, I had those experiences as a child and as a young adult. And those were the kinds of experiences that certainly implied UFO contact. And I was, I was in complete and total denial, yet I knew that was crumbling. So you know when you have a, a, a like you're boiling water, right? You put the lid on the pot, you got a, water's in the pot. There's gonna come a point when that, when that, when that lid and the water's boiling is gonna go tick, 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 tick. Like there's gonna be a point when the energy of the boiling water is gonna like change the nature of the lid of that pot. That's what my life felt like at around the time that that I went camping with Kristen in the mountains. It felt like my life was like the water was about to boil and I was going to have to look into my own experiences. I was doing everything possible to say, nope, not going there. I'm not going to do it. Not me. No way. And, and, and it wasn't a UFO experience. It was an owl experience that forced me to look into those, those questions. Right? So I saw owls. I heard a voice in my head that said, this has something to do with UFOs. A message. The title of the book is The Messengers. And I, and I started very cautiously looking into my own UFO experiences. I started very aggressively looking into the mythology of owls. And, and I... So here's this is so so Kristen moved or Kristen moved out of the, the the neighborhood out of the valley where I was living and she moved back to Michigan which was where I grew up she actually grew up very close to me where I grew up and then um, she was on a train this is like such a wonderful cinematic thing she was on a train and I called her this was very early in the days of like flip phones and such so she answers her flip phone on a train and I was in this kind of panic mode because I realized like oh no this stuff is real. And I told her some stories. I told her, oh my God, this thing's happened to me. And I, she, she was like a, someone I could pour my heart out to. So I said, listen, I'm in this, I can't tell anyone about this. I'm in this, I'm in the midst of this stuff. And it's, there's like events in my youth, like this missing time event, a close-up UFO sighting, and these five beings outside my window. As a, as, so I told her all those stories in a very frantic, kind of panicked way. And she said, 
which is, I give her so much credit for this. This is the greatest advice she could have given me. I said, like, like this is, this is stuff is going on in my life. And she said, quit your goddamn whining and do something. Which I, which I, I loved that she said that. In the time, it was pretty jarring. But in, in retrospect, I, 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 it was great advice. So I did do something. You know, I, put a, I started a blog. I started the books. I started talking about my own experiences. That was tough at first. Now it's easy. I feel like, I feel like it's, I'm at peace with telling these stories. I wasn't at the time. So the person you're hearing now, the person talking right now is much different than the person who called Kristen while she was on that train. So yes, that was, so why did I meet Kristen? I think it was so she could like, you know, laugh in my face and say like, quit your whining and do something. Yeah, it sounds like you needed that big time. It was great. It was great. I did need it. So People will yell at me if I let you say something that you said earlier and not go back to it and have you further explain it. You mentioned five gray beings in your yard. What did they look like? What were the circumstances around that? <laughs> if you don't mind me asking, because, yeah, they will yell at me through the Oh, no, no, I get it. I get it. It's <laughs> I, I do this thing, and it's terrible where I, like, you know, like, no it's great i wrote a note and i was like we are definitely going back to that so (laughs) okay so i I spoke at a conference this summer and they gave me two hours to talk and i'm like you're kidding i got two hours to stand on a stage and talk it was this real intimate little thing and there was about 30 people there but so and it was a beautiful night i did it out it was like under this gazebo outside at night and there was like oh it was a really magical experience i spoke for two hours and just went on and on and on it was like oh it was so powerful to have that much time and i was very formal in my story and i told the story of the five beings but at the end i was like so amped up and i sat between uh do you know cheryl costa uh, that name sounds very familiar she's a yes. researcher yeah she's a researcher and there was another woman there and i sat between them and they were both speakers at the same conference and i kind of <laughs> and i said you know like like i don't realize it sometimes but i was like oh you know like I realized it then after two hours. I said, a lot of stuff has happened in my life. And they looked at me like, well, how dumb can you be? Like, (laughs) yeah, a lot of stuff has happened in your life. So now I was 30 years old in the winter of 92, 93. This would have been either January or February of 1993. I was living alone in a home in Maine. And now to tell this story, I'll fill in some details at the end here. I woke up, middle of the night, and there was a bright light shining in the window. And so I sat up on my elbow and looked out the window, the way the bed was pushed right up against the wall, and right up against the window. And so all I had to do was sit up and look out, and, the, and it was, we're in a pretty rural spot. It's right near a little town called Steep Falls, Maine. Tiny, tiny town. And I look outside, and there are, there's a bright light, pouring light into the room, there are five beings walking towards the house, and they are the skinny, gray beings you know, that we would call the grays. Bald heads, big black eyes, skinny, skinny bodies. Like it looked, they, they were like too skinny to hold their head up. And they were walking towards the house. And I've drawn pictures of this. And I'll, the, I'll tell you about that. I'll go into that a little bit later. So they're walking towards the house. This should have been terrifying. And I, and I, it's interesting. I remember I kind of looked past them and looked at the light. 
and the light was small. It like was like the size of a washing machine, right? It, sh it would have been perfect, right, if it was a big flying saucer, and it wasn't. It was just a light about the size of a washing machine, like a big, bright, glowing, bright spot of light, pouring light into the house, into the bedroom. And I heard a voice in my head that said, Oh, yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. And that's exactly what I did. So I don't know, like 20 seconds, 30 seconds? I don't know how long I looked at these things. It wasn't very far from where that bright light was to the house. And there was nobody home but me. So I should have, by all rights, gotten out of bed, locked the doors, grabbed a knife, grabbed a baseball bat, panicked. I didn't. Did the exact opposite. Calmly put my head on. Now, that night, there was a feeling of eerie silence that accompanied this. There was also a feeling of like a weird clarity, like like everything was a little too sharp. The, in my thought, I'm going to say, my, and I wrote about this in a diary entry not too long afterwards, the, like my thoughts were, were weirdly clean, like the normal mind chatter that I think we all have going on at all times was gone. And so I was very clear thinking. I will also say, oh, so I did a hypnosis session with Bud Hopkins in 2007 or 8. I think it was 2007 to, to look into this. And, and I said some things that I, I, I knew, but I was just, I want to say embarrassed to admit. And, and the feeling was, we went into this event and very little came up except that these beings seemed very familiar. So it was more like, oh yes, they're here again. Here, they're here again. Here they are again. That was the feeling. Again, just because I felt that under hypnosis doesn't make it true. But I feel like that's how it felt at the time. Now, that eerie silence was, was like a dream. But it wasn't it was, it was dreamlike, but I don't think this was a dream. But I will say, the next morning, whew, I, I said, no way, that was a dream. Uh-uh, didn't happen. I never even went out to look and see if there were footprints in the snow. I was like, no freaking way am I like going to invite this into my reality. This was just a dream. But in recent years, it, it feels less like a dream. I... So, so I drew a picture of it, and I'm an illustrator, and I drew quite a good picture. It's on my blog. It's in the book. Um, it's easy to look up. And I knew when I set about to, to do a rendering of what I saw out the window, I knew that my drawing, I had one chance to do the drawing because my drawing would become my memory, which in a way it has. But I, so I was very, like I, I, I worked really hard, and I'll say the emotional anxiety and anxiousness and, and urgency of, of doing that drawing told me a lot. And that was a, that was a huge clue that this was, this was something else than just a dream. I will also say that uh, that eerie silence, I talked to someone 
she's very open with her experiences. Her name is Brigitte Barkley. She lives in England, and we had a conversation one time, and I was in England, and she said um, she had a close-up sighting in Los Angeles. She was in a convertible on the freeway, which is such a perfect L.A. thing. you know. And she had a flying saucer hover right over her car. And she said, when I was close to that craft, she said, you know when you take two magnets and you they put them together and they click, they click together, you pull them apart and you turn one of them 90 degrees and you try to push them together, but now they repel each other. And, and there's, you can push the magnets together and there's nothing to see between the two magnets. There's nothing there, but you can feel this warbly sort of powerful energy. You can feel that energy, but there's nothing to see. She said, when I was close to that craft, it felt like I was between the magnets. And when she said that, I was like, you know, you know, you know what I felt. That's exactly how it felt seeing those beings outside my window. It felt like I was in between the magnets in that warbly, palpable, invisible energy. So, so that event, again, maybe 30 seconds long, wow, did that, did that have reverberating echoes to this day and how I, how I try to make sense of my life as well as reality itself. But Mike, isn't the fact that it should have been terrifying, but wasn't just flat out terrifying in that, you know, uh, what that meant for you, their power uh, and influence <laughs> and intentions towards you. And then what happened after, right? Like what happened after they're like, hey, time to lay down and shut down for the night and don't worry about us out here. We're cool. Isn't, isn't that terrifying that it's not terrifying? Uh, so I, I am not shy about saying this. I went through probably from 2006 with the event with Kristen to around 2013, the event where like that I talked about, that was the subject of the session with Yvonne Smith. So then what is that? 2006 to seven years. Um, I feel like in those seven years, I spent 95% of my waking hours wondering if I had gone insane. And that's not an exaggeration. Kristen, Kristen knew me in those years and still knows me now. She was at a conference I spoke at, which was really great. She was in the audience. And so I could like turn to her and say, Kristen, how am I doing? So when I told the story about, you know, the owls flying above us, how does that sound? She said, sounds right. You're telling it just, just the way it happened. I was like, great. And then when I said, I spent 95% of my waking hours wondering if I had gone insane. I was like, Kristen, you knew me in those years. How does that sound? She said, that's the person I knew. It was so stressful. I wanted to swear. I wanted to say the F word. It was so stressful that it was, that I'm surprised I survived with my sanity intact. So yes, yes, it was trauma. That the event itself wasn't trauma. Trying to make sense of the event was trauma. Like it was weirdly calm. It was like a dream, like you have a calm dream, but I don't feel it was a dream. And then I've had plenty of other events since then that, that, that one's pretty, if, if, so, so I'm at the point now where I feel strongly that happened, that, that something happened in that house in Maine that involved five beings 
and me hearing a voice in my head that said, oh yes, they're here. Now is the time to put your head on the pillow and shut down. I spent, let me, here, let me, I'm gonna, this is something I rarely talk about in interviews. I, and I'm open about it. I haven't shied away from this. I had a, I had a lifetime of clinical depression, right? So by some definitions of mental illness, it was bad. Like I was, I was, I went through some periods where it was like dangerously bad, like, like at the edge of suicide bad. I am, I feel like I'm healthy now. I've been healthy, symptom-free for over a decade. It feels great. So I'm like, it's, I'm this is stuff in the past for me. Now it's made me a much more sympathetic person in many ways. So I'm a good listener for people who have these accounts. Now, when I say it was bad, it was bad that winter in that house. So why did they arrive then at that time? I have speculated very cautiously that they arrived there to save my life. Just because I speculated on that doesn't make it true, but I cannot separate that event from that point in my life. And then I also want to be, I am also very clear, which I struggled at the time, thinking that my fragile emotional state could have generated a kind of severe, hyper-vivid dream. And, and so I, that was sort of a fallback. Like, oh, this was just a dream. And this is, the, this is the trouble with these things, is that, and the researchers will say this too, it's very difficult to come up with like what amounts to concrete evidence. I'm not trying to prove or disprove anything. I'm simply saying that these stories, my own stories included, have a f sort of power to them. And I want to honor the power of the story, even if the, even if, and I want to be clear that I struggle, that this, it might have been a dream. Yet I also have to say, I don't think it is. I don't think it was. So your explanation there, and thank you for sharing that, Mike, your explanation there, it, it does answer, at least on the periphery, my one question that I had for you, which was, you know, with these five beings walking out the yard and they're walking towards the house and there's this voice in your head was the question was, do you feel these things or this phenomena ever screws up? Like, oh, crap, he was just supposed to be flat out asleep and never even see us walking to the house in Maine, right? So you don't feel like there's ever really, at least, well, maybe for your own personal, maybe there's other experiences where you feel they have, but you don't feel, you feel it's all intentional, basically. They don't screw up. They don't go, oh, crap, he was not supposed to see us. I I have speculated exactly that. I So let's say my my... I'll just say my brain chemistry was no longer normal, which I, th I think that's a true. That's true. 100% true. I was in a severely depressed state. My brain chemistry was not normal. Could their ability to, let's say, hypnotize me been altered? And so they, so they screwed up? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I, I fully recognize they screw up sometimes. I got some great stories where, where like, <laughs> where the beings screw up. So, yeah. Oh, I'm totally open to that 
idea. Yeah, and I speculated on that in the writings in my un un online and such that they may have screwed up, and it might have been my brain chemistry. At the same time, like, there's the rooster. At the same time, <laughs> I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, I'm, like, if this was a story, if this was a script, like, I would want to write it that the beings showed up at such a powerful moment and showed up consciously for, for me to have a, like, a very, very clear memory of, of that. So I, I'm, I'm, all I can say is what happened. And then right now, this is 93, good grief, that's over half my life ago that's over 30 years ago and and uh i'm i'm the 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 amount of internal work hard work frightening work that i've been f i've forced myself to do like i denied it denied it denied it there came a point where that wasn't gonna work i was gonna break by denying it so i say it, it's a death and rebirth experience like i had some part of me had to die and crumble away, and that was those years where I was. Where I asked Kristen, "How did I? You knew me in those years. How was I?" And she's like, "You're a, you were a mess." And so some part of me had to die, and some new part of me had to be reborn. I had to build myself back up, and and the and the person who's content and at peace talking about these events is that newer person. So so yeah, wow. There is so. In the last 30 years, there's been a lot of hard work for all kinds of issues, one of them being these paranormal events that have invaded my life. Would you rather go back and not have any of this ever happen to you and not know anything about owl archetypes and connected to death or possibly connected to UFOs or any of these other uh, occurrences? Ooh. I don't know whether, I don't think I'd want to relive some of the events. I don't think I'd want to relive some of the emotions. God, that, that's so funny that roosters are going nuts out there. I don't want, I would not want to relive. I would not want to go through those feelings, especially the clinical depression, the events of depression. I would not want to go through the, through the, the, the unstable, unbalanced, ungrounded times I went through when I was saying, this can't be happening. This is impossible. This can't be happening. Yet, things were happening, mostly in the form of powerful synchronicities, fleeting moments of what felt like UFO contact, but overwhelmingly powerful, irrational, often very highly charged, orchestrated events around me seem to be playing out. I know how paranoid that sounds, yet all I can say is these these seem to be playing out. I would not be the person I am had it not been for all those things. I feel, I don't want to use the word blessed. That's, that sounds wrong. I am grateful that I have a mystery. I can play detective. Right now, real life, real time, I can play detective into what is the most powerful, grand, hidden, elusive, playful mystery 
it's scary, it's seductive, right? Yeah, so I'm fully on board with my life right now. I am fully on board. Like, I love every letter that arrives. I wish I could reply to all of them. It is like walking uphill in sand. I am getting... People say, is this stuff real? What's your proof? And I was like, you want proof? Come and look at my email inbox. There's the proof. Like, it is the flood of stories. I'm going to go back to that same line with the same flavor and mood that I have experienced directly, that these are the stories that are arriving daily. I'm get, let's, on average, one a day. I'm not talking about people. I get people who say, hey, I saw a pretty owl on the fence. It was so beautiful. Really wonderful chance to see an owl. I get that. That doesn't count. I'm talking about the ones where, here, I'll tell one more story. A guy is meditating in his backyard. He's got an apple orchard. And he... he... <laughs> Sorry, the, the, the roosters... I'm telling you, Mike, they're, they're, maybe on cue, they're on he's, cue. He's like, I think there's something around. Maybe a Bigfoot. Get ready, Mike, yeah. for the Bigfoot stories coming your way. <laughs> so, so he's in the backyard. He's meditating. And he hears this horrible screeching coming from the forest. His, the orchard is right against the forest. And his hair on his back of his neck goes up. And he's like, no way. I got to get out of here. I don't know what this is. I got I to gotta run. Every, every fiber in his being said, get out of here. And he said, no, I got to figure out what this is. So he walks into the forest. And there's an owl on a branch at about eye level. And it's looking right at him. And it is like angry. And it is screeching at him. It is yelling at him. And he's fully like, this thing was chewing me out. And then he and then he goes home. And he he you know, his house walks to his house and his wife is making dinner and he says, I just saw this thing. I was meditating, this owl, this owl was looking right at me, it was screeching, and she said, Oh, that's nice, honey. Like set the table. They eat dinner and he's got the kids and the kids are there at the you know, like, listen, here's what happened. Dan was outside and like there's this owl and it looked right at me and he was screeching, it was making all this noise and and then the kids are like, Dad. So he gets his camera. He goes out to the forest, and he stands in the same spot. And he says, my kids and family don't believe me. I need a picture. So an owl lands in a branch. He takes the picture. I use this picture of my talks, and the owl flies off. And I said, what were you meditating about? And he said, I was meditating if there was a God. Mm. So... These are the stories that I'm getting. There is, there is no UFO in this story. And, but, but wow, does this have the power of the, this, this encapsulates the power of the stories I'm getting. Again, I'm not like attached to God as like a, as like a core belief of my own, but I do recognize that, that you're, you're, you're going to 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 the core archetype of of what humans struggle with. I this I say this to people like if so if you start to if two smart people have a conversation about UFOs, two smart thoughtful people, and it and it should take about three minutes before they say they start asking these kinds of questions like, why am I here? What does it all mean? Where do we go after we die? Like the, the big questions, the big questions that have been plaguing humans, philosophers, theologians, kids walking to school, the big questions that 
we all should be wrestling. Somehow, the, the UFO taps into that. So, so my, my argument these days is that there's an ancient mythology of the owl. The owl is a messenger. The owl is a source of wisdom. The owl as something that flies in the night, the forest, flies in complete darkness. That's a, that becomes a metaphor for traveling to the land of the dead, traveling to the land of the gods, traveling to the land of the ancestors, traveling to that other realm. And then it returns with a message. This is the ever-present mythology around the world of the owl. It's not the animal that is in the bright sunshine. This is the animal that is in the dark. This ancient mythology is being mirrored in our modern mythology of the UFO. We have a present-day mystery that for this is this is for me this is like a thought experiment that this modern myth is the ever-present ancient owl myth just repackaged in a shiny in a shiny new outfit. You mentioned the word mirrored, and his experience mirrors yours uh, very much in that we have that, that three-letter word, God, again, right? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. I will also say that I've spoken to this fellow recently. I don't want to use his name. Um, and he's doing shamanic work. He's following, a sh he's doing shamanic practices. And so this is, this aspect, this spiritual awakening that accompanies he doesn't have any UFO stories. He's got some powerful owl stories, though. And he's having hawk experiences now, which is another highly charged bird. But a hawk is a bird that flies in the bright sunshine, so it has a different mythology than the owl that flies in the, in the forest in the dark. Do you think you or anyone else having these experiences could halt them if you wanted to? You know, I, um, I worked for an outdoor school, and I taught... Trips, you can Google this. You'll, I should just, it's Knowles, N-O-L-S, National Outdoor Leadership School. I mean, like, if you wanted to figure it out, it's all over my bio and stuff like that. So um, I don't like, to, I haven't worked for the school for about 10 years, but uh, but when I worked for the school, I would do 30-day trips into the mountains. 30 days. Bus would drop us off at a roadhead. We'd go into the mountains of Canada or Alaska or the Rockies for 30 days and then come back. And that was so that was a powerful, in many ways, transformative experience for me, for the students. Um, I was fully present in, in those times. And, and nothing happened. Nothing happened. No synchronicities. Like, I was completely on it. I was focused on something. I would come back, and then stuff would start up again. So I think you can shut them down. I think you can ask. I know people who've done this who've said, "Can you, hey, I need a break," and the and the and things calm down for a while. I don't think you can turn it off completely forever. Okay, so piggybacking off that, if you could, would you want to? You can retain all the information that you have right now, and I guess this would also go into another question I have: is Have you had any recent experiences? But then, you know, if you could turn them off, would you want to? I mean, you've already hinted that you have had some obviously negative experiences within this, but also it sounds like some really beautiful ones as well. Yep. Yep. 
so I've had some frightening ones. I've had some challenging ones. When I really stand back, I don't know if they're quite negative, right? So frightening and challenging, mm-hmm. like nobody wants that, but it's not, it's not like, I don't sense anything evil behind this presence. Let me put it that way. Other people do, and they can make a good case at it. And I'm not saying, like, I'm not, I'm not discounting their accounts. I'm going to be really careful to say that. Like, it's not all love and light. Like, it's tough. These are tough things. This is what I say now. I used to be astonished by the events. And I'm going to say, I see owls all the time. I live in a place with a lot of owls. So I hear owls every night, pretty much every night. I'll say most nights of the week, my window's open. I lay in bed listening to owls. I, I, I used to be astonished. And that was kind of, that's not a healthy emotion to be in a continual state of astonishment, right? You know, like your your adrenal glands are kind of pumping. You're kind of like caught off balance. I am, I had to, this is a conscious decision. I am, I am allowed to be in awe of these experiences and these events. That is something I'm much more comfortable with. Awe is a different emotion than astonishment. So, so I allow myself to be in awe of these events. I being in awe of something is powerful and can be potentially quite beautiful. I, I want to be careful to say these these events. Some of them have a beauty to them, not all of them, but I would not turn this off. I I am grateful that I'm the energy that I'm putting into it is being reflected back at me. So I'm looking for the awe. I'm looking for the mystical. I'm looking for, like, I'm not an objective researcher. Like, I'm completely subjective. Like, I'm, I'm looking only at owls, and I'm being very careful not to cherry pick the data in a way that, that I could, oh man, I could write a love and light book with the available data. In doing so, I would have to ignore huge amounts of the data. And that would be that would that would not serve the truth or truth is guess in quotes because I don't really know what's going on here. But that would not serve the overall phenomena if I only looked at one side of the coin. But I would say that I'm putting thoughtful, cautious energy into it, and thoughtful, cautious energy is being reflected back in in the form of these much gentler experiences now that i am more at peace with the overall with my overall set of life events that being said though mike considering the fact that as you say you you sleep with your window open you can hear owls all the time do you often or ever have thoughts like oh i hope that's actually just an owl oh i it's i live in a place with a lot of owls yeah so i i i I'm pretty content that they're just owls. But all uh, the time? I mean, do you ever hear another noise or have another thought and go, oh, it, maybe it's starting again. Maybe it's it's happening right now. Not recently, no. And I've it, had other powerful synchronistic events and like, you know, uh, but but yeah, not not recently. I, so I sleep outside. This is what I love to do. Like when I go camping, I don't take it. I leave the tent in the bag and sleep out under the stars. I go camping alone and sleep outside under the stars without a tent all the time. So I'm like, 
I'm, people say, wow, are you trying to connect to the heavens? I've had this conversation. I'm like, no, I'm connecting to the earth. Like, I love that. I love the earth. I love the nature. I love the outdoors. I love this. So, so I'm, I'm not doing anything that our ancestors didn't do. So I'm, I'm, and at the same time, people have asked me, are you inviting an experience? And I have to kind of say, I think I am in, a, in some small way. I love it. I love sleeping on the ground. I'm open to the, to the mystical possibilities. And I'm also much more at peace now than I was. So, um, I, it, like I presently things are going nice and smooth. I'm pouring lots of energy into the writing and I'm having lots of synchronicities, lots of mystical events like that. But, but, uh, it feels, I haven't had the last oh, things that would feel like UFO contact. Who knows if, if they can wipe your memory and, and, and create a form of amnesia, like anything's possible. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, so, but presently I'm, I'm like, I'm in a pretty good headspace. I mean, with you, I mean, especially having sat down with Bud Hopkins, if anybody doesn't know that name, then, uh, I mean, it, it's tough if you're in the space not to know who Bud Hopkins is. But knowing that you have said out loud that you've been aboard essentially the, you know, the, the craft 101 scenario, doesn't that scare you then that wouldn't you, well, what I should say is wouldn't you rather something like that probably not happen again because you have admitted that some of these things are, can be quite scary. Yeah, I don't want the scary stuff. Yeah, I'm pretty darn clear. I don't want the scary stuff. Even um, if it gave you any answers. So the universe is smarter than I am, right? So I'm looking at this as more like a, like a spirit guide rather than a, an alien on a metal spaceship. Right. So, so there comes a point when I have to take my UFO investigator hat off and I have to put my shaman hat on. Right. So the, you know, so like I have to say, this is a, like, I have to honor the people who say I've had a powerful spiritual awakening because of these experiences. I have to recognize that is embedded into the overall phenomena. I've talked to other researchers, and I kind of, am I out of line saying that? Do you know Preston Dennett? You know him. Uh-huh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so I asked Preston Dennett this one time. I said, like, am I out of line saying that, like, people who have these experiences then go on to have a spiritual awakening? He laughed. He said, oh, no, no, that's all over this subject. That's all over this, the people who have the contact experience. It's all over it. It's all, it's just, it's right there. Yeah, you're, you have every right to say that. So I'm saying that embedded into this, very weird, very elusive, very difficult difficult to understand set of events is something transformative. And I look at my own life. I look at the person that Kristen knew, this depressed, frightened, shattered person. I don't want to go back to that. But I do want to continue forward and evolve and grow and be stronger emotionally, stronger spiritually, and, um, you know, I, the, you know, the, 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 to slay the dragon, right? To, that, the dragon being my own fears. So I, I'm, yeah, you're asking a great question. I'm proceeding forward, trusting that there's something hopeful embedded within this phenomena. I got to be. I want to be really careful not to sound all 
you know, love and light and ooey gooey right. about how wonderful the phenomena is. Because I, more than anyone know, it presents real difficult challenges. And overcoming those challenges has its benefit, powerful benefits. Zipping back to the psychedelics, you kind of mentioned that mushrooms, eh, not so much. You know, when people take mushrooms, they don't really see the, the whole owl thing too much. But what about, and I know that you've heard this, there's entire books on this, DMT. What about people taking DMT? They take they take it in, even Joe Rogan has done this, and he's said, hey, if I could find another decent source, I would do it again in a heartbeat. And I've talked to other researchers, one in particular, he doesn't want his name mentioned, but who took it, and it was an it was the most terrifying experience of his life, but he said that he, you know, he it was in contact with some beings of some sort, you know, not that he knows for sure what they were, but it was beautiful and terrifying at that same time. Is DMT connected to the owl experience at all? Has anyone written you in relation to that? I have found there there might be in the literature, like someone has seasoned owl. I, I have not found it with DMT. Okay. DMT is the, isn't that the active element within ayahuasca? That I'm okay. not. Uh, that I'm, I'm not, not familiar sure. with. Yeah, that that certainly occurs. So a little so bit I'm naturally. I'm um. I've actually f had very few letters, not enough to be a real pattern in my research. Okay. In with with DMT or ayahuasca, I would say that the shamanic journey, right? So the 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 ritual journey of taking mushrooms with your buddies and say, "Hey, let's have a spiritual experience. Let's go into the woods and take mushrooms." Really common for owls just to show up. Real owls. I got lots of stories like that. It's also real. It's also common to have like a completely trippy. Oh my God, there's this woman, Shauna Holm, who had a wonderful, powerful, transformative shamanic initi initiatory experience where she took mushrooms all alone. And then her bedroom like was suddenly covered in owl feathers. And there was this 30 foot tall owl that was standing in her bedroom and speaking to her in the most poetic tones. And it is, it's riveting. You know, she she was she the owl said, You are no longer daughter who yearns, you are now mother who knows. Like, wow, that's that's poetry. So th that marked a transformation in her life. She went from shamanic apprentice to practicing shaman. That's a powerful, beautiful story. The the that psychedelic journey can have pumas and weird beings and, and light beings and, and terror and, and such. So like if, how to say this, like I keep on going back to the story, right? So you tell a little kid, you said a kid wants a bedtime story. Oh, you tell the story about going, the night goes down into the cave where there's a dragon, a fire breathing dragon, and it couldn't be more scary trapped in a cave with a fire breathing dragon. But that's that's embedded into our our storytelling mythology. So if someone takes ayahuasca and has a f totally terrifying experience, like, well, that's just a story. Someone goes on board a craft, has a totally terrifying experience. I don't want to make light of this. I'm not saying this lightly. But wow, that's that is part of our storytelling heritage. That is I'm, I'm, 
I'm working hard to take this step back and look at these events as stories or as dream logic, right? You, wow, you could look at a, at a DMT experience as and analyze it the way a Jungian analyst would analyze a dream. Yeah, yeah. And you could take a real life event. Boy loses his kite, captures the string, tangles up, traps an owl. That's dream logic. So I'm, I'm, the psychedelic experience is you're purposely setting yourself up to leave normal reality, enter a distorted, exalted, highly charged psychedelic reality. And if you're doing it in a thoughtful way, you want some spiritual growth. I mean, I certainly, I know what I was like in high school and college. I want to be careful what I say, but like there was, there's plenty of people doing it just for kicks. But, but I think there's a powerful spiritual lessons that can be gleaned from such a potentially frightening experience. I don't know if I answered your question. Oh, but, no, absolutely. Yeah. Thank you. No, I wish I knew more about DMT in relation to ayahuasca and all that stuff. I actually don't know. But once you said that, I was like, hmm, maybe it is. I'm going to look that up once we get off of the, the call. But there's a, oh, there's a book by, I can't remember the doctor's name. It's e called uh, DMT, the spirit yes. molecule. Yes. That's the one I was thinking of. I'm like, there's actually entire books written on this. And that was, yeah, exactly, that was a I great book. The cover. Yeah. yeah. At this point, Mike, how many owl experiences have you had? Me? Well, I mean, one owl experience is like, I mean, if you just like listening to a pretty owl hoot out the window is an experience, it's every night for 10 years, it feels like. If it's a powerful mystical experience with an owl, like the kind that happened with Kristen, mm -hmm. like really big ones. Yeah. Like the ones that you... you Six or seven, less than 10. Less than 10. Like really big ones. Yeah. 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 I, I was camping in the desert with this woman, Natasha, and we had we've had a bunch of experiences together. Natasha, I met at a UFO conference. We were dating for a while. And she was from Germany. So we were coming home from a UFO conference, the, the one that was annually in uh, the UFOIC, the International UFO Conference Congress, in it was held in um, for a while in Fountain Hills, Arizona. And so we were driving back to my house, which is in Idaho, and we were camped in the desert outside of Boulder, Colorado, excuse me, Boulder, Utah, a very, very small town in Utah, Boulder, Utah. And it was quite, and so I had been driving all day. It was night, found a great spot to camp off in the sand. It was 50 yards off this empty, empty, empty road that goes through a very beautiful part of the country and she was she had jet lag so she couldn't sleep she kind of wakes me up and she goes mike i can't sleep what what should i do i'm like i don't know take a walk she's like really like is it safe i'm like oh yeah it's safe this part of the country is pretty safe don't worry and so she went for a walk and i laid there she walked along the road and she said it was so bright the starlight there was no moon the starlight was so bright and so beautiful. She said, it felt like I was sparkling. I was sparkling. So she walks off. And now I'm, I'm right there. Like, this is a calm desert night. It's cold. It's calm. This would have been March, 
April, maybe April of 2011. And I'm lying there and I'm drifting in and out of sleep and there is a great horned owl in the bush near my head. There's a juniper bush. This owl is right near my head. It is a, the great horned owl makes this incredible, perfect, booming call. And it is, it is so loud, I don't understand why I didn't see it. I sat up, I'm looking at this bush, it's loud, right there. I've never been that close to an owl making that kind of noise. Natasha is walking on the road, she looks off, and there's this light, this floating light. And she's like, that's, what is that? Someone's here with a flashlight. And then she realizes this, this floating ball of light, this floating orb of white light is just floating across the sagebrush right next to this road. And then it comes towards her and it gets big, like the size of a beach ball, and then poof, it like explodes and sparks and disappears. She runs back to me. Mike, wake up. We got to get out of here. Let's go. Like, I'm like, what, 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 what? She said, I just saw this thing. She describes the sword. She's really scared. Oh, I'm really scared. We get in the car. We drive off. I say, did you hear the owl? She's like, what owl? No, I didn't hear any owl. Now, I, we, we, I've got a little map. We sat down. I got, like, Google Maps. Here's exactly where I was sleeping. Here's where the road. Here's where we walked. She didn't get that far. So how far did you get? Oh, I'm about to hear. Okay. Calm, beautiful night. No wind. The desert. You know this, right? Booming call of an owl. Should have been, you should have heard that a mile away. She was probably a football field or less away. Should have, she should have heard that as clear, as clear, as clear can be. What did I, I mean, what happened? What happened? Like, it's, it's impossible that she did not hear that owl. She was all about owls. She knew I was the owl guy. It was like, that's all I was like. I'm listening to an owl. She sees a UFO. Owls, UFOs, completely, completely connected in that event. In my mind, they're connected as one, one event, one owl UFO event, but she never heard the owl. That does not make sense to me. I hate going really cliche with you, but I feel like I, I should at least ask this if people haven't heard you speak before. Have you had missing time occurrences with any of this? In 1974, as a 12-year-old boy, I was walking home from a high school football game, and I was... There's no owls in this story, but I was walking home from a high school football game, 12 years old. I wanted to be home in time to see a television show at 10 o'clock. You may remember the show. It's Cole Shack, the Night Stalker. Mm -hmm. It's like, oh, a great show, 12-year-old oh, yeah. boy. I was like, oh, it's perfect for me. So I was like, I want to be home to see this show. So I told my parents, I will be home at 9.30. And so I'm walking home with a friend of mine, and there's a spot in the neighborhood. I could put an X in the sidewalk right where it happened. So I lived close to the to the football game. You could like stand in my front yard and hear the football game. Like it was close. So like I walk and I get home and oh so so and excuse me. So I get to the spot in the sidewalk and the sky turns orange. Like click. Whole sky turns orange. Click goes back to a night sky. This is Michigan, autumn, clear, calm night. So I'm with my friend. His name is also Mike. We're walking home and then just like the whole sky just for one second nighttime sky click bright orange click and we're like what just happened it was really jarring and and he was like i don't know we're both like oh was it a lightning off in the distance was it something and 
And so I get, so he lived a little deeper in the neighborhood. So I just said goodnight and he walked home a little further on, a few blocks further on. And I just walked into my house. My parents were like standing there waiting for me. Like, why are you, here? why are you in so late? Why are you out so late? You're too young. They were mad at me. Like, where, where have you been? I said, it's 9.30. I knew exactly the time I left the football game. It's 9.30. And they pointed to the clock. It was 11.30. This was way before, like, Bud Hopkins' books came out before the term missing time had entered our vernacular. But uh, I remember being, like, really? Like, I did not do anything wrong. They did not have a right to be angry at me. And... And the next Monday morning at school, I was sitting with Mike in the cafeteria, and I said, yeah, something weird happened on Friday night. And, and he chimed up. He said, yeah, we saw a UFO with lights and everything. Oh, wow. And I never saw anything like that. So my memory is the sky turned orange. You know when you have a campfire and it, it goes down to those glowing orange coals, mm -hmm. that weird, radiant, rich, rich, glowing orange? That's what the entire sky felt like, that color, for one second. That doesn't make any sense. And But I sure know the implications of the person who was with me saying he saw a UFO. At the time, as a 12-year-old boy, I was like, it jarred me. I was like, I didn't see a UFO. What are you talking about? Like, I never brought it up. I brought it up a couple years ago. I called him. I lost track of him. We found him on Facebook. I called him up and said, do you remember that night? He said, no, I don't remember. I remember. You know what he said? When I told him the story, he said, I remember your parents were angry at you. I remember you talking about your parents being angry at you. I don't remember the night. So then why do you essentially, I mean, for lack of a better term, you, you go on to have a lifetime of interesting, sometimes frightening experiences. And unless he just doesn't want to talk about it, he not only denies seeing a craft maybe he forgot but also seemingly like i said unless he's he just doesn't want to talk about it he just doesn't he doesn't seem to have the same things happen over his lifetime that you have now had correct not that i know of yeah right. so i passed him a little bit and i didn't want to you know i didn't want to like i mean i know what it means to like open up the can of crazy you know like it's like, right I, I know what it means to be the the funny uncle in the, at the family reunion, <laughs> like, okay, I better keep my mouth shut up on this stuff. stuff. So, uh, so, but I, um, so, so yeah, I can't like, but it, within the lore, within the UFO lore, there's plenty of accounts where people have powerful, like one person remembers one thing and another person mm -hmm. remembers another that's embedded into the, to the mystery. So I, I don't want to read too much into it. I would love it if he remembered the exact same thing I did. That would be great if he could confirm it. It's not what happened. He did remember, he did say that he remembered my parents were angry, which was an interesting detail. 1974 is 50 years ago. That's a long time ago. Yeah. Or will be 50 years ago soon. And and for him to actually be the one to, at the time, he said he saw the, the craft, right? It was a craft, not just the light, the, the light in the sky. The, the line I wrote down in a diary entry this would have probably been in the 90s i wrote this down was he said i we saw a ufo with lights and everything i can mm -hmm. give you the direct quote it has the f word in it but <laughs> i won't do that on your show so but yeah just to me i'm going well he's the one that saw a, a craft and you didn't and you end up being the one as a again just not to beat the dead horse but you're admitting it maybe he's just not admitting it but seemingly 
if we're going off what he's saying, not only does he not have a lifetime of, of odd experiences, he doesn't even remember the craft. And I'm going, why? Why is that? That's it's a mystery. Like yeah, I, yeah like on one sense, like there's a good, there's a lot of ways you could have think he could have just been, mm-hmm. you know, a twelve year old kid, like just talking, like just exaggerating, right, making stuff up. So that's one option. I mean, that's like what twelve year old boys do. You know, they exaggerate and they want to be the center of attention. That would do be you remember you guys being into UFOs or anything like that at that point? I mean, what what would have been out in the lexicon and in pop culture oh, at this, that time, this right? This would have been, if you look back in early 70s, 1974, there was lots of, this was the yeah. dawn of, um, oh, I, I'm not sure if the show was out really, but In Search Of was right around that time. That's what I'm wondering. And I'm going, was that, you know, oh, had that already there. been out? Okay. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, it was there. It was there. Because I forget that. The, the missing time, the Bud Hopkins... Yeah, the Bud Hopkins chapter of the research hadn't emerged yet. Yeah. That's just fascinating. That's just a fascinating aspect to the phenomena, right? It's a it is it's a mess trying <laughs> yeah. to research this. It it's is. a mess. So so uh you know, like do you know David Marler? He's a researcher. Yes. Yeah. So David Marler said this is like I was he was very pragmatic about it. He said, you know, I don't really research the abduction stuff anymore. And, and I was like, like as someone who feels like he would quantify as an abductee, he's like, well, why not? And he said, it just takes too much time and it's just so messy. And I'm like, yeah. oh, well, I, that's true. Like, it's mm-hmm. like, so the people have these experiences. Um, I, a friend of mine has, an, has had a lot of experiences and his wife hasn't. And she's very supportive of his stuff. And, and they're both funny and and <laughs> so... He'll, he'll go to parties and stuff like that. And people, his name's Bill. And he's, Bill, like, uh, what's up? With, you're like into this UFO stuff. What's up with this UFO stuff? And his wife will like get in between the two of them and look at the guy and say, hey, you got six hours? Like, basically, you ask that question, yeah. you better to like, you better, <laughs> you better be ready to listen for six hours. Everyone who has these experiences, like I know, I talk to these people on the phone. Like it's just like it just goes on and on and on and on, and and I recognize the the kind of loopy, synchronistic chaos in that emerges out of these experiences, and and it's not it's it's not just like oh you know I saw a UFO on a lonely road one night, you know the people have had the direct contact experience it just it's it's their dreams it's psychic premonitions it's or- orchestrated relationships is like right in this stuff too which i like not many people are talking about but there's like all this weird stuff and and it's it's i call it the 6 hour story yeah you, know, you ask what's going on in someone's life it's the 6 hour, you get the 6 hour story but each part is an important part no matter how little it may seem that's why when people people will like I'll upload my show to YouTube and they'll go, well, why don't you put, uh, you know, the people in their videos can put uh, time markers when different pieces begin. And I'm going, well, but each part is just as important as the part before and the part after. And to try to even, not that any of us have the answers, but to even try to put any of this data into any kind of a graph, in, even, in, even if just for your own satisfaction or your own mind, you have to listen to the whole thing. Each part and piece is very important. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, this is like, this is going back a long time ago now. Some woman said, hey, can I send you, like, I have an account. I wrote it up. Can I send it to you? I'm like, sure. 72 pages long. It was riveting. 
Yeah. It was like it's like the stuff that everyone says. It's the six hour story that she put basically put in a document. So seventy two pages. Like this is like like it's not a, this is this is the the people whose lives have been invaded, they can you know, they can work at the bank, they can have a regular life, they can, you know, take kids to Little League and stuff like that. So but at the same time, there's a richness that has overlapped with their life. And 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 that's the stuff that I'm. The second book, Stories from the Messengers. In the first book, The Messengers, I argued that UFOs and owls are connected. And I would tell a lot of stories. I, and, and as I said before, I got lots of stories. A lot of them take a long time to tell. The stories I can tell on a radio show, I just tell the quick ones because it doesn't serve anyone to tell the ones that take a half hour to tell. But. But in that second book, I, I, I wanted to address the long, complicated stories. And so it's 19 chapters long. Each chapter reads like a little short story of, well, some of them are, some of the chapters are 30 pages long. And, but they, um, they, they point to the irrational complexities that are woven into this. Uh, Anne Streber, the wife of Whitley Streber, said something that I have, taken to heart, she said, I know how to trust. I have a BS detector when it comes to people telling their stories. She says, if they aren't weird, I don't trust them. Right? So if someone tells you a story and it makes sense, oh, like you can kind of see, oh, here's the story, the beginning, middle, and end of your story. That's like a red flag. Mm-hmm. If it's like it's weird, illogic, and there's, there's, you know, loopy dream logic embedded into the story that to me is a is 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 a tells me to trust the story is real when it when it when it becomes absurd and i don't say that lightly yeah i like that a lot she's got a really good point yeah oh yeah because those are the shows where I'm furiously taking notes and I've got a million questions because, you know, it just took a left turn here and then it, it took a nosedive here. A nosedive meaning just it went in another direction here and then it flew up to the sky over here. Those are the the encounters and the episodes that I get the most email about where it jogged their memory or it poked them to finally get in touch with me and they're like, okay, they said this little tiny minute little thing that just kicked me right in my butt and I am emailing you because of that. So owls and deer are the, at the top of the list as far as the, the people who are having mystical experiences with animals. And so I'm like, I haven't had that many deer experiences. I've had a few. So I'm like, people say, you're going to write a book about deer? And I'm like, nope, that's not, I don't have the experience. It's not my <laughs> job to write that book. So, but I talked to a woman who had an experience and she's open with this. So I'm just going to share something with her that she, so she had a lifetime of missing time lots of issues in her life with powerful synchronicities, mysteries that implied UFO contact. She's driving down the road. She she slams into a, a big, beautiful buck, walks right in front of her. She's going 60 miles an hour. She hits it. The hood flips up. She doesn't understand how she got to the side of the road safely. She gets out. The, the deer, it's gruesome, the story she tells. And she has to have her father come and pick her up. On the drive home, she has the conversation, the one and only conversation she had with her father, where the father said, here's what happened when you were growing up. 
There were lights in the house. The house would be lit with odd lights. He basically confirmed all her mystical, paranormal, mysterious questions. So he confirmed that weird stuff was happening in the house as she was a girl after this powerful event with a symbolic archetypal animal of the forest, similar to an owl. And, and so that, that detail is what, what I'm, how to say this? I, I'm going to just say it. I love those kinds of stories that have that mystical dream logic embedded into it. So I was completely taken by that story. And that, I mean, that's not an owl story, but it has the flavor of this, where like a archetypal an archetypal animal will present themselves to to the to the to the experiencer. There's no UFO in that story, but it is everything about the the story element that shows up in the lives of the people who have these experiences. What a what a conversation to have. Uh, after hitting a deer like that, and she almost probably she's lucky to be alive. Inspired yeah. during that event, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So my goodness. Um, okay, so before I, I I I have you plug everything and have you briefly at least talk about ultralight backpacking because I find that yes. fascinating yes. that you do that. I have a few questions that we can kind of do rapid fire that I got from posting that you were coming on to my uh, Patreon members. So if you wouldn't mind, they have a few questions for you. Okay, rapid fire. You you, you be the, um, I mean, you put the referee jersey on and you like blow the whistle if I talk too long. No, no, I will. I would never do that because you're a wonderful guest and speaker. But, but <laughs> okay, so this first one, and this will go right in with what you are saying about shamans and shamanistic experiences and people who meditate. This man, his name is Glenn. He has been on my show. Uh, I talk to him every month. He's one of my Patreon members. I, he's a, a wonderful person. He is an extremely gifted musician in that he has played himself, and he can do this within, he said, I think like an hour or two. He can pick up a sheet of music or listen to a song and then go on, and he has done this. He can go on stage with our world's top musicians and rock stars and play. Uh, he To say he's gifted is a, a really an understatement, and he has done that. As I said, you can... Uh, you can find him, but not only that, he is, you know, he's doing the shamanistic practices. He is meditating very heavily. Uh, he does this every day. As far as I know, his question is, so taking that into account, right? His question is, do you have any advice for someone who has nightly UFO visits? Oh, keep a journal. One, keep a journal. Uh, Talk with someone. You don't have to talk with everyone, but talk with someone. Make sure you have a, a like a, a like a good listening friend that you can unload this stuff with, and then um, <clears throat> and now I'm going to be very cautious here. Have an intention. Like ask a question. Like ask questions. It might not happen the first night, but but I've had really good luck with this where I will ask a question. I, I used to go out and sleep out under the stars at night. I would make a plea to the universe. I was praying, basically, but I would say, you know, 
universe, you're smarter than I am. What do I need to know to proceed forward? And I would have either the most powerful dream or a powerful animal event that would wake me up in the morning or a powerful synchronicity within hours of waking up. So, so yeah, you can ask a question in a formal way, whatever it's involved, light a candle, say a prayer, go in the yard and speak to the stars. You can ask a question. You might not get it the first time, but just, you could, I would say that you could probably ask a question. It would be answered. You can say, give me a clear answer that I understand. Because you might get a airy-fairy mystical event that you can't unscramble. Oh, and let me just add one more thing. Um, the creative thing, wow, that's something that shows up. Someone asked me, said, hey, do you ask people, like, like is one of the questions you ask, are you a creative type? Do you, are you an artist? Do you, do you draw? Do you make music? Are you a writer? And I and I, <laughs> I answered like, yeah, I don't ask that anymore because pretty much everyone right. who has these experiences is a creative type. Yeah, absolutely. And and you are as well, obviously. I mean, you just said writer, yeah, I was a illustrator. illustrator. Yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> all right, Randy wants to know, did publishing the books decrease activity at all for you as that would support the phenomena wanting you to write them? Uh, um, yes and no. Like it certainly didn't go to zero. Lots of stuff happened. Um, uh, so what it did do, and this is, this is like my own subjective kind of self-analysis, the writing the books was a form of therapy, right? So I didn't have a therapist I could go to. I didn't have anyone I could go to and lie on the couch and try to make sense of this stuff. I could work to make sense of it myself. You read that first Messenger's book, wow, it is all over it. You can see that I am wrestling, wrestling, not just with the mystery of this owl and UFO thing. I'm wrestling with my own direct experience. What does it mean? It was a, it was a wonderfully effective form of therapy, writing that book. So at the end, I was calmer and less, I was pretty frantic. I was pretty frenetic in the years leading up to the books, those years that I was talking about, like where I'd spent all my time wondering if I'd gone insane. Uh, and I'm not saying that lightly. I mean, it sounds kind of flippant when I say it like that, but it's no joke. What happened was my, my mindset became a little more peaceful, a little more calm, less frenetic. So I was getting, the universe was reflecting back to me, calmer synchronicities, and I, and I left the frenetic stage of my life and the, 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 the synchronistic experiences lost their, their frenetic power to the, for the most part. He also wants to know, are there any Western U.S. conferences that you may be going to coming up? Nothing in the short term. Yeah. Like I, you know, it's funny. This is, I gotta be really careful to say this. Like I have a tough time getting booked at conferences. I, and, and, and I, and I, it's funny as I like, and I think I just come, I'm like, like I'm a pretty strong personality and I don't know, like, I think people want the researchers that do like research and they have nice tidy things and they have nice tidy conclusions. And I'm like so open-ended and all over the map. And I'm, I want to talk about stories and how the stories make you feel rather than a conclusion that you can pragmatically put in a, in a bullet point list um so yeah it's funny I'm, like, I'm yeah, in your I, I, I'm in your book 100 percent. and and besides that who, the ones that have the tidy conclusions are, are I mean you you even said sorry to say this but I'm here we go I'll say the same thing sorry to say this but I tend to 
I, I run from that. I don't, I don't know how <laughs> any of us could say or claim that we have answers to any of this. It was funny. Richard Dolan published my first book and, and, uh, he, and he's funny. He's like, I know Rich pretty well and he's funny. And he's like, published my first book. And he was like, Mike, I love this book. And he's reading it, you know? So he's like, as he's reading it, he's calling, I really like your book. It's really good. And you're like, but when do you get to the point? When, when I get to the point when you explain like what owls are, what do they mean? Right. And I was like, on the other end of the phone going like, uh, you're going to be disappointed. Yeah. So in the second book, he said, Mike, you're not getting off the hook. Yeah. I'm not letting you off the hook. You are not allowed to write another book where you don't at least like, you know, come to, you know, like have some conclusion. So I did write a little bit in the second book about what I thought they meant. I can read it for you if you want, but, but let's keep going with these little. Yeah, last one from the uh, the patrons is from Maynard. He says, what about your journey through this topic has surprised you the most? <sighs> surprised me the most? Okay, so, so that it's so ever-present. That would be the the thing that it is that it is that it sh the like I sort of thought I would write a magazine length article on owls and UFOs. I did. I wrote it in in that was the there was an essay that I posted online in in 2013, and it was you know it's a magazine length article and it and that grew to be the great big fat book, The Messengers. Um, what surprised me the most is the the torrent of powerful stories that just continues day after day after day. I, I love receiving them. I apologize. I can't get back to everyone, but I am, it is, it, I live in a magical universe and it is, it is being confirmed daily through my email inbox. That's, the, the volume, the universal owl experience. I don't care if it has a flying saucer in it or a UFO. I'm, I'm interested in the, the archetypal mythology that is, that is alive right now, that has been alive all throughout human history. It's the source of our ancient owl mythologies. It's still at play now. That has been so rewarding and so engaging and and I and I feel honored to be the scribe to be the archivist of these these beautiful powerful stories and I don't want them to die in a in a folder I want them to be alive and shared all right so my last question before in in closing at least on the owl portion of this which is of course why we're here but I, I would like you to read what you mentioned in closing but my last question for you would you want everything that you may have buried subconsciously maybe there's nothing else in there but would you want all of that someday to to come to light and for you to know everything for you personally Hmm. Okay, so I think we are unable to know this in a meaningful way, the same way that the 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 holy man who climbs the mountain in India and sits in the lotus position and prays to the gods, he can only know so much, right? So whatever's going on in this other reality is outside us. Like we can never fully understand what's going on outside the boundaries of our reality. I don't 
I am not of the opinion, it might be partially true, that there are metal spaceships coming here from other planets. That might be part of it. Like, I'm totally open to that. But, but, but in order to come to that conclusion, you have to deny so much of the data. You have to ignore. You have to willfully deny the data to come to that conclusion. You have to say, I'm not going to look at this account because it doesn't fit my preconceived idea. So you throw that out. That's not serving anyone. In a way, I'm doing the same thing by being so myopic about the owl. But if I could know everything, I think it would, I think it's too big for the human mind to hold in their head. I think we would have to frame it in the same way that the, that the ancient Greeks framed the gods that lived on Mount Olympus, the same way that the, our you know, my Scottish ancestors framed the fairies living in the forest the same way that, you know, the the Native Americans talked of the spirit animals that would come to visit them in their dreams. I think we would have to frame it in some story mode, which we're doing exactly that now. We are framing it in the story mode of the metal spaceship that comes from another planet. But I don't think that's what's happening. I don't think the gods lived on Mount Olympus. So I think that, I think that was a story. I think we're we're dealing with a story. I think we could we could know much much more. But I think it wants to present itself as a mystery, so we can wrestle with that mystery, right? So what's like, what's the the detective novel? There's a reason detective novels are popular. They're fun. They're engaging. You want to get lost in the mystery. It doesn't matter at the end. Like how many detective detective novels you've read where at the end it's like it doesn't matter who did it it's the joy of the of the of the investigation that's that's what's what what the human soul needs now i'm getting all I'm, i drank a lot of coffee that's a little heavy-handed but that's how it feels to me sometimes all right well that said please uh go ahead and, and speak about what you were going to say from uh stories from the messengers in closing oh, me about owls let me just open this up i got the book on the table here it's right in the introduction. So this is a short little thing. Okay. Again, why owls? On a purely intellectual level, I don't know. Yet my gut feeling gives me a glimpse into some possible, ans possible answers. Here are four ideas on what owls might mean, and each are followed up with a question. And each are followed up with another question. Number one. This is my go-to answer. Number one, owls are alarm clocks. The simplest answer would be they are here to wake us up. But wake us up to what? Number two, owls are an archetype. They are a symbol, an image stored deep within humanity's genetic memory bank. It's as if there are hidden meanings locked away within our grand shared consciousness, and the owl is a key. We think in symbols, and the owl is touching us on that level, and this deeper knowing goes back to the dawn of man. But what is the hidden archetypal meaning? Number three, owls are here to announce initiation. An initiation is a ritual, like a young Catholic receiving the Eucharist at their first Holy Communion. Owls often show up just before the arrival of a UFO, as if to announce an impending ritual. Religious scholars would argue that the initiation rites are metaphoric of a profound change within the initiate. But the true believer wouldn't see the initiation as a metaphor. The change would be entirely real. But 
an initiation into what? Number four, owls are a totem of the transformational experience. Seeing a UFO can transform someone, can transform someone. I've spoken to a lot of people who have seen strange craft in the sky, and in that moment, their entire definition of reality is altered. I've also spoken to people who have had owls, who have had owl sightings at such highly charged moments that it transformed their lives. But a transformation into what? These four answers to the question why owls are elusive. Each are dancing around the same underlying mystery. Many people have told me that they have had owl experiences that have somehow tied into a spiritual awakening. It's a call to wake up, pay attention, and to look within. The owl is telling us to confront the deepest part of ourselves. It is a summons to transform our soul. That I, I, When I do writing in the introduction or the foreword, that was the introduction, I feel like you're really allowed to be poetic. In the meat of this book, I, I try to be a little more formal in my journalistic approach to these things. But in the in the in the introduction and conclusion, I really let go and, and try to be poetic as far as how I address that. So I, as I read those things, I'm like, oh, that's pretty hard to back that stuff up. But that's how it feels for me. No, I appreciate you doing that. Thank you so much, Mike. And before we plug the books and let everybody know where to find you and those books, I want to talk just a little bit about. You are a badass ultralight backpacker. And to me, it's fascinating that you do this. And it, it also seems it may be dangerous in, in some aspects. Do you have any experiences that you want to share as far as a, a, a close call or a memorable experience from, you know, going out and, and doing this ultralight backpacking? Oh, I don't, th I mean, so dangerous, right? Camping is dangerous. No, 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 no. Camping is gentle. Like you are in nature. You are like breathing clean air. You're like sleeping on the ground. You're, you're, you know, oh, it's not, it's so it, like, there's like mountaineering situations that are dangerous and things like that. And, and, but I have a little checklist. I wrote a book called um, Ultralight Backpack and Tips. I, I drew cartoons for a long time. So like, like I was a cartoonist and I would do funny cartoons. So I have a book with funny cartoons that are instructionals on how to go ultralight camping. So I have funny cartoons of people like, you know, sleeping on a homemade, you know, on whatever, sleeping on their pads and the, in the, under the night sky and stuff like that. And how to make a little can or a stove out of, um, out of cat food can and stuff like that. So, uh, so the point of ultralight backpacking in, I taught this for a while, so I would stand at a whiteboard and I would make a little chart, right? So I'd make a chart and say, so the traditional backpacking, you have a great big pack and you have a great big tent and you carry all kinds of gear and you have pots and pans and you have a camp stove with a metal fuel bottle. All of that is changed for ultralight camping. You basically just go and pick the lightest option for everything. And if you can leave something behind, you know, do you need one pot or two? One pot's plenty. So if you just make every decision, so you should be able to go and take go out for eight days and hold the backpack up with your pinky. Easy. There's a little bit of you have to make some pretty bold decisions to do that, but I'm not, I'm not I'm saying to do this correctly, it should be very safe. So I have a checklist that it's um you gotta be safe, gotta deal with emergencies. So I take a first aid kit. 
you got to be warm and dry. So you take a good raincoat and you take a good tarp. You have to eat warm food. So you have to take a stove and eat healthy food. And you got to be able to repair your gear. Like, so you tear your coat or something breaks. So I take a moderate repair kit. So you got to be prepared. So I'm saying like, no, 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 no. It's, it's like, it's a, it's calm and beautiful and peaceful and, and wonderful. You know, walking on trail is one thing. Well, if you wanted to like go over a mountain pass and have to scramble up and down some steep rocks, there's issues that you, there's ways to, to, to manage those kinds of challenges and the inherent dangers and those kinds of challenges. It's tough to take, you know, so you can do plenty to travel safely in the, in the forest. And, and um, being able to hold it all up with, I mean, with one pinky though, that seems incredibly fascinating to me. Oh, uh, get the book. The book's you get a sixteen dollar really? book. It's like it's super easy. Yeah. What's the easy. longest uh, ultralight backpacking trip that you've personally gone on? Was it so, that thirty day? I, I thirty days tough to go ultralight. So when I was working for the school, I gotta be careful what I say. The school that I worked for was not known for their ultralight thing. So what it was happening, I worked for the school for seventeen years, and I went from being in my thirties to being in my fifties in those seventeen years. So the pack was the same pack essentially, but it well, I was like it felt heavier the closer I got to, you know, into my the deeper I got into my fifties, the heavier that pack felt. So um I wasn't, you know, thirty anymore. Right. So, so partially it's my own comfort level. So the the so that what happens is you find your comfort on the trail with a light pack, right? So 10 days, 10 days, you should be able to go out full water bottle, one liter, 2.2 pounds. So basically, so 25 pounds, it's 23 pounds if you take the water out. 23 pounds, you can easily lift 23 pounds with with a, your finger. That's 10 days. Right. Right. A weekend, you should be able to go out with about 14 pounds. 14 pounds is pretty light. That's full water bottle on your pack. Food, fuel, 14 pounds. Easy easy you have to invest a little bit of money in some gear but i'll tell you the amount you save on the on leaving stuff behind and not having to buy stuff the cat food can is free i I make a stove out of a cat food can i know a guy who circumnavigated alaska made a circle around alaska no trails he did that with a cat food can for his stove really oh yeah so that it's like, I'm so... not doing anything that, yeah, I'm not saying any, I didn't do that, but I mean, I've done long, long trips with nothing but a cat food can. That is incredible. Well, you, you know, I, holes in it. A... When, when you start to look at the, and of course, as you well know, being, <laughs> doing what I do, I've heard a lot of, um, or her, covered and heard a lot of horrifying stories of people going out in the woods. I mean, look at, um, uh, Julian Sands, the actor, he was, his body was recently found after being missing out at Mount Baldy, right? I mean, and and he was just going out for a day hike and just bad things can happen. So when I'm looking at your ultralight backpacking situation, I'm kind of going, well, for the most part, people go out and they, you know, they can go out for several days, as you say, and come home fine. But there are those situations where things come up. So does that also, this ultralight situation, does that also include preparing for bad things to happen and and you know carrying axes or knives or you know you, then you have your gps and all these other things well so I, i'm 60 years old i was camping long before we had gps yeah things. what's a what's a that's true do? so, so do, really? to this you know, day you... you still wouldn't take a gps out oh i take my phone out and okay. sometimes there's little map things i yeah. check it every once in a while but i try you know what i do when i go out i take my phone and i put it in a plastic bag and i put a rubber band around the plastic bag and i say i'm gonna leave the rubber band on the whole trip 
I, I don't usually. I usually listen to music or something like that, so I cheat. Right. Um, but uh, so I'm saying that there's all kinds of, you know, making a left turn in traffic is dangerous. There's all kinds of things we do. It's dangerous. So I'm, I'm saying that, that the, that the, I'm, you can travel lightly and efficiently. Okay. So, so you put a, so the traditional form of backpacking, so you're talking a 65 pound pack and instead of a 25 pound pack, so that's 40 pounds difference. You are much more likely to twist your ankle and have an injury with a 65 that pound pack true. than you are with a 25 pound pack. You can, you can walk with sneakers, right? Just running shoes with a 25 pound pack. You need the big boots for the other thing. So you're going to be tired. You're going to be tired in a different way at the end of the day, hiking with a big pack than you are hiking with a light pack. You, and I would argue that this, I've gotten the people I've had big arguments with this one. So, and I feel strongly, you can make better decisions with a light pack. Do we go over this pass? Do we go around the pass? Do we cross the river here or do we walk downstream and find a better place to cross the river? You can make a better decision with the light pack. With that big pack on, you're like, oh, let's just keep moving. Oh, this is rough. With the light pack, it's like, yeah, let's, what a beautiful day. Let's walk downstream. So, so there are, there's a different mindset completely, which I, which I, I don't want to argue whether it's safer or not having a light pack, but I will say your comfort level is better. And I would, so the, and I also have a little chart, which is a little bit of a joke. It's in my, it's in the book. I drew it as a cartoon. And, you know, so one axis is like your comfort level and the weight of the pack. And the other axis is your ability to appreciate the wilderness. I argue, like you can't take zero out. That would be rough, right? Go out with, go out. Zero is like, you know, walking in your underwear with bare feet. Like that's not going to work. You need something, but you, but the bare minimum, people go out with five pound packs. And when you get to that level, then you're you're like going to be shivering a little bit at night. You're <laughs> cutting it pretty close. How I've many, done that before. How many days is that generally? I mean, everybody's different, oh, so, but so five pound, so five pound. That's excluding um, food, food, okay, and water, right? And there's things you can do, like you go to like the North Cascades where I here, live here. You can you can hike with an empty water bottle, and there's rivers right. everywhere, and the water's wonderfully clean. So I I drink I drink untreated water. A lot, and here. you can forage if you know what you're doing, as long as you uh, really know what you you're doing. To, you might be able to eat a little mush. You might be able to eat some berries or some like the mountain sorrel. You might be able to put something in your mouth that like you can has a nice flavor. Like mountain sorrel is really delicious. It's got a lemon flavor to it. It's this little green thing. It's not much. It looks like parsley or something. It's like uh, like you, know, you can't really feed yourself unless you have a fishing rod or a yeah. You, you, you make you might be able to sprinkle a little like wild onion on your dinner, but you got to carry your food. Are these mostly solo way. trips? You know, when you're talking about I do a lot of solo trips. Yeah, I do. I do. I've worked. I've taught. I've taught teams of you know, I've, me a co-instructor and twelve students, or usually less than that, probably eight students. Yeah, I've taught. I've taught a lot of classes. Do you go out armed? No, 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 no. Oh, in in bear country, take bear spray. Yeah. Yeah. the 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 issue with a gun is you're more like the gun is more dangerous than the the bear. You're more likely to get in an accident with a gun. You're gonna shoot yourself, and the, you know you're scared, and you try to pull the gun. Where do you keep? You have to get the gun in a holster, and you're like, eh. So the old old timers still carry a gun in bear country, and you're not allowed to have them in national parks. You can't go into Yellowstone with a loaded gun. Right. Um, but you, um, but bear spray is very effective. So, I've never had to discharge the bear spray in front of a bear. I know people who have, but I've never had to do it. And I've seen a lot of bears. I've I've 
spent a lot of time in Alaska. I've seen the, I've camped in grizzly bear country a lot. That would be horrifying. Why? Having to spray the bear, having it that close to have to expel bears. Yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah, you know, so you're like, I don't know, like making a left turn in traffic is pretty rough sometimes. So, you know, like, like, like we're surrounded by danger all the time. No, so we are. I think the, That's for sure. The number of people at the end of the year who, who have bear encounters is like ridiculously low. That's true. That is true. Even like if they see them or they low. get pissed, they are still living to talk you about it. You do something wrong. You got to do something wrong to annoy a bear, you know, so yeah. bears are you know like and and uh, but there's yeah so there's an inherent danger it's a different feeling to be like like a few notches down the food chain in alaska than it is to be to hike let's say in uh you know the appalachians in 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 vermont so i mean you hike you... In, Al- you, in alaska you're that's it's a different feeling altogether to 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 know you're sharing the wilderness with a predator that's over a thousand pounds Seeing as you've taught these different classes and maybe someone didn't even know or if it was before, you know, you became the owl guy and you're in the paranormal and everybody knows you for that. Did you ever have anybody come up and tell you a strange story that would be similar to what we, you know, know of as the, you know, this kind of strange missing 411 aspect of the woods? Well, I've never, I've had one account that I know of from a, from a friend his wife's mother disappeared in what sure feels like a 411 account and this is going back in the 90s and and but I've never had that you know what there's a there's a mountain range or there's an area of mountains the absorcas and the prior range and the eastern side of yellowstone that has it is a traditional home of the little people so i have heard fairy stories like the ancient so the indian the local indian lore the crow indian and the blackfoot indian there have um stories of the little people and the you listen to these stories it's like it sounds like you're talking to like the guy at the pub in ireland same story essentially and i've i've talked to a lot of people who've had little people experiences in the in that part of the rockies I have one one guy. He was he was a student at the school that begins with N that I mentioned earlier, <laughs> and he uh, he was in the Wind River Range, which is a mountain range in central Wyoming. He was walking down a trail, and he got to this trail. He was ahead of this partners who were hiking behind him. Young, strong guy. I've talked with him at length, and he stopped in the trail and he turned around. He like was like, oh my. He turned, did a full 360 in this meadow, you know, big Rocky Mountain, beautiful meadows, did a full 360 in the meadow. And then when he got back facing down the trail again, there was a little 16 inch tall, dark brown skinned little leprechaun, essentially a little person. And he said he was close enough that he could see the stitching in the homemade leather clothes. And he said, this little thing stared at him and he stared at it for like a minute. They just stared at each other. And the little thing kind of went, like shrugged his shoulder and was like, oops, you caught me, busted. And smiled and stepped into the tall grass and disappeared. And he walked up and there were tiny little footprints in the sand. And he said something which I, which sounds irrational, but I've heard enough stories like this. He took his foot and smeared those footprints away without even thinking. Mm. And so here's the question I ask people. This is the question I ask people when they have a UFO experience, when they have an owl experience, when they have a powerful synchronicity. What was happening? What were you doing? What was happening in the moments leading up to the event? And I asked him, 
And he said, I was so grateful to be in this wonderful, magnificent, beautiful setting. Mm. And that's when he had his little person experience. So, yeah, so, oh, and I've certainly heard odd experiences from people on that. that we, you walk on the trail, it's called story time. You just kind of, like, you know, I've had, I've had people tell near-death experiences, and wow, I've heard some stories. But that's true of anything. I think you could do that around the dinner table if you just ask. That's true. Which I do. I ask. I ask. You probably know you must do it, too. You ask, like, well, anything weird happened in your life? And you can get a handful of people, and you're going to hear some weird stories. doesn't matter. I think it's just in the cross-section of everyone. It doesn't take but three or four people, and someone's got, mm-hmm. a, like, a powerful wow story well all i know is i call dibs on your your bigfoot your first bigfoot encounter okay don't forget me when you have it but uh mike (laughs) let everybody know where to find you and where to find your books of course books are all on amazon the easiest way to find me uh, if you just you can you don't even have to know how to spell my name you can just type in ufos owls and my site's going to pop right up my go-to site the hub where i have is mikecleland.com. That's all one word, M-I-K-E-C-L-E-L-L-A-N-D. And um, from there, you can find the books, you can find the, you can find the ultralight book. You can, you can find the, uh, my podcasts. I had a series of podcasts. You can find my blog, which I, which is now 14 years old. And, and I was very active for some years. It's all still archived there. And, um, and right at the top of the site, it says, I want to hear your owl stories. So if you or anyone out there has had something, please get a hold of me. I apologize if I don't get back right away. Uh, I, I'm flooded with stories, but I want to hear your stories. And I so deeply appreciate that, that people have been so open and shared so much with me. Yes, flood him even more. No, but that, Mike, thank you so much. You were a wonderful guest. And thank you so much for all of your time today. This has been a joy. Thank you so much. Well, I'm so-and-so. I was given this name by my parents. I've been to such and such a college. I've done these things in my profession. I produce a little bark. Buddha says, forget it. That's not true. That's some story. That's all gone. That's all past. I want to see the real you you are now. But nobody knows who that is. Because we don't uh, know ourselves except through listening to our echoes consulting our memories. But then there's a real evil, and that again leads us back to this question. Uh, who are you? That is the real We shall see how they play with this exam by the cohorts to get you to come out of your shell and find out who you really are.
they will say, no, we don't believe literally in reincarnation. And after your funeral, you know, you will suddenly become somebody different, living somewhere else. They will say, reincarnation means this, that if you sitting here now are really convinced that you're the same person who walked in at the door half an hour ago, you're being reincarnated. If you are liberated, you understand that you're not. The past doesn't exist. The future doesn't exist. There is only the present. That's the only real you that there is. The Zen master Dogen put it this way. He said, spring does not become the summer. First there is summer, and then there is spring. Straight, 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 straight. 